Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Pioneer Podcast. I'm Tannen Grace, and as always, I'm joined by Ross Merriam. Ross, how are you doing today? I am doing well. Got you know most of my work done for the week. Uh, I got back on my normal writing schedule, so I wrote my article on Monday. Went up today. We're recording this Tuesday evening, so one day of verses down. We got one more day of verses, so I feel like I'm you know most of the way through the week, even though the week sort of just started. I'm feeling the same way. I kind of, I kind of get it. Like I've worked my uh, my tail off the last two days. I've you know had less sleep than I wanted to, and then the rest of the week's gonna be a little more easy for me. You know, I got a good bit of, I got a little more work tomorrow. Then Thursday and Friday are gonna be like I'm gonna be cutting out pretty early. You know, if I mean both those days, so pretty nice. Uh, made a nice sale this week and stuff. So I'm I'm excited about it. Um, how was your weekend? I don't know. It was pretty low key. Uh, I actually sort of you know got off my normal sleep schedule over the week, and so I caught up over the weekend, which was nice, and just. Not a whole lot happened. What happened with you? Uh, honestly, just hung around the house. Um, been eating some absurdly good food uh, because it's been like, you know, my wife, uh, you know, she she, had, she got a doctorate. It was her birthday. Congrats. Uh, yeah, I know. Thank you. Right. Um, it was also her birthday, uh, my dog's birthday. Her mom just had a birthday and Mother's Day all in the last like two weeks. So we just had like tons and tons of like leftovers and good foods also people sent us some stuff like um some of her friends like one person sent us a huge thing of beignets uh you know the thing that my dog is named so i just tore through that because i don't i don't get them normally and i was just like i had one and i was like god it was so good oh, it was from yeah. this place that this place called rue beignet that's down the down the street it's also really really good um one of her other friends that lives here made us this uh giant i told you about this the other day this giant tray of peanut butter chocolate brownies. There's just a giant Reese cup brownie is what it is, right? And at first I was like, man, it's kind of rich. I had a little bit of it, I didn't like it. I have been destroying that thing systematically <laughs> for the last two days. Every meal has, ha, I've been leaving, I've been leaving a room. I'm like, I'm not letting this go to waste. I'm just crushing this thing. Um, so lots of sweets lately, a lot of sugar, probably a little too much. So I've been kind of crashing too much <laughs> late in the day. Uh, yeah. So a lot of a lot of real good food. We um like we made a roast compoyo uh over, over the last few days, and that was really good. I, I love that meal. That is one of those dishes that you know sounds really simple, and as a result, can sound kind of bland and unexciting. But when it's well done, it is unbelievably good. Adam Yeoman Five will, will definitely appreciate it. He's put photos of his own. Um, it, it's from different countries. Like they, they do theirs a tiny bit different than than I want to say we do ours, but I would they do. You know, my my wife's family does theirs. But boy, is it good! And it's so weird too, because like each each you find that you know certain cultures do different things with their food, and like some of them they just put ketchup on it because they like want some tomato paste or something in it. Yeah, yeah, I know it's not actually tomato paste; it's corn syrup. But still, they put a little ketchup on it, and it's actually pretty good. Like, like another weird one, um, they make, uh, what am I, I'm literally blanking on it here. It's the, uh, the shrimp di- dish. Oh God. I'm literally blanking on it. With like the, you know, in the, the, in the liquid, um, I, I, I'm really mad at myself right now. I've had a in long the day. liquid? What yeah. They put it like liquid with like, with like onion and, uh, like, like ceviche? Yeah. Ceviche. I literally just couldn't think of the word ceviche. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. I, I feel, uh, they put popcorn in theirs. In the in the liquid, like it's the eat with it. Sometimes you put it in there. I mean, like I don't know. It's just that a weird thing. The popcorn kind of soggy. Yeah, it makes the popcorn soggy if you put it in there. As I'm saying, you don't yeah. have to, or like you take a little bit of it out there and eat it with popcorn. Just like um, I don't know if other people do it, but we always have tons of avocado that are with Like we always have that with it. You know, like just like certain things. I don't know, but the popcorn thing apparently is like 
very popular in certain countries. Like I could see it. I can definitely see it separately. Like you got to maintain the structural integrity of the popcorn. Yeah. But getting it like a warm, crunchy, salty bite with like, you know, really creamy rice and, you know, and good, well-cooked, you know, juicy, tender chicken. I can see, I can see that for sure. Well, though, with the ceviche. Oh, with, with, the with the ceviche. Shrimp. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, even that is fine because again, like you don't have, you don't really have textural contrast there because it's right. just the, the shrimp cooked in the citrus. Um, and you also have a lot of acidity. Uh, so, you know, salt and acid, the, the salt will help balance that a little bit. Like, did you ever have any weird stuff that y'all ate growing up or something you like, you thought was normal and now looking back on it, you're like, that's kind of strange or that was a little different? Um, the one thing I can remember having frequently as a kid was something my mom made called uh, like crescent cheese bake. And I okay. have to imagine it was like a recipe on the back of a box. Right. But it involved like cheese, like sort of sliced, like brown and served sausage and you know crescent dough layered in a casserole okay i've seen this before and when you say cheese do you mean it's like like the cheese is melted into it like it's shredded cheese and then it melts yeah, with the casserole okay I'm pretty not sure. like cheese whiz or something right no no it's which not is like disgusting i know some people like it i do not like fake cheese but no it's uh it, it's an actual cheese as far as i'm I, i'm aware i mean this is an old memory this is we're talking i'm about. trying to think of like the weird stuff i remember i used to like i used to and i, I still don't mind it. i like mayo on my fries believe it or not that's a that's a thing that's popular in europe yeah also especially like have you ever had like sriracha mayo oh yeah they're oh like a spicy mayo or something that's real good too so at the the good burger place in roanoke jack browns so their their fry sauce is like proprietary and basically everybody that makes fry sauce just like mixes mayo and ketchup and adds some other stuff fancy to it. sauce yeah yeah and theirs has like a lot of has a lot of garlic and and some other stuff and it's it's really good mainly because i love garlic and it has a lot of it so we're a uh, we're a two times garlic house any recipe that that calls for garlic we just multiply it by two. Oh yeah i don't think i've ever put under four cloves of garlic in anything do you do you, do you get it minced like pre-minced or do you just get the fresh no, stuff and do it yourself myself all the time yeah, and you do the, the do the smash method where you you, you you take it out, you smash it, and you chop yeah, it up. Yeah, you smash it to peel it because it makes it super easy. And then you you do you basically if you want to mince it really well, you just do it like you do an onion, where you do the slices but not all the way through, and then you cut halfway through uh, the other way and then chop transversely. That doesn't make any sense to anyone not watching, but if you know how to <laughs> you know dice an onion, you just do the same thing to garlic but on a tiny scale. Yeah. It gets really fine. You just you know sort of take your time with it because I'm not super fast with a knife, but that that's I'm better. getting better. The the one that I have the problem with is when like you know you're chopping really fast and you're supposed to like guide it with your knuckle of your other hand. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, like I don't 100 percent trust myself. Even though you're supposed to like, you know, hold it at they can't see us. We're both doing it right now. Yeah, yeah. You still hold it at that angle to where you can't chop your finger with the knife, but it's per like I, I understand like how that works, but it's so hard to get like a grip. On whatever yeah. you're and keep it in place and steady especially an onion um and like you know when you get to the end of the onion yeah so i usually like i'm like that halfway through and then the back half i just have to take it really slow, slow down yeah my fingers are right there i've come too close to severing a finger way too many well, times I've, chopping I've, myself. i haven't severed a finger but i've definitely tried to get fancy and chop really quickly just to see if i could do it and i i cut myself a few times a few months ago i don't know if you remember this i may have been doing the show might have been right before um we uh, we had made dinner the night before and we had used the food processor and you know, it has like that little spin blade, 
you know, you yeah. take that out so you can clean it separately. And I put it in the, the dry side of the, of the sink, you know, to, to dry out. And I put something on top of it. And the next day I like reached in to, to grab something and pull it up. And the blade went down my finger, but like right next to the nail. So it just cut down that spot. Right Dude, it sucked so bad for like, because <laughs> like you can't, like you ever try to wear a bandaid like around the tip of your finger? It just, it doesn't work. You know, it just yeah, doesn't stay it, there. It's really like, awkward. You gotta get a really to get one of those, band-aid. I think one of those little like butterfly ones, you know, like the little small ones and like kind of yeah. wrap it for a while because for the first few days, like, because if you do anything, if I grab it in that hand, it would flex it and you would feel it, you know? And so it was like a, I mean, I bled a lot when it happened, but it felt like a really bad paper cut. You know what I mean? Like, because yeah. it's real yeah. fine and right through. So I'm pretty careful. I've been, I've been amazingly lucky not to hurt myself because I, if I don't cut or burn myself, I don't know if I actually cooked because it's, it's almost every time. <laughs> you know what my thing is, and I'm amazed I haven't burned my apartment down, is I honestly, with alarming frequency, forget to turn the burners on my stove and or, and or my oven off. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. I'm pretty good about that. I'm like, honestly, awful. Some I've just left it going for like hours. I, I say this, and I'm probably going to end up doing this at some point in time, like soon, you know, one of those like knock on wood situations. But I had a, I have a pretty OCD mother. And so growing up, she was like, ob- ob- obviously obsessive about making sure everything was off. So also you have an electric uh, stove, right? Yeah. Dude, you need to get gas at your next place. It's, it's so awesome. And uh, like, what is I understand that like everybody who knit, like, cooks and is serious about cooking believes in gas, but I've never really looked into what the difference is. So, have you ever done it? No, I've never used a gas stove. All right, so like the the, the heat distribution is just better, right? Like it's it, right, and then it's less wasted heat. Uh, you don't have to do you don't have to worry about it with power. Like if your power's out, like your stuff still works. Um, That's nice. Yeah, it's 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 cleaner than using than other stuff uh it's 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 cheaper as well like i fell in love with it living in vegas because in vegas electricity is actually more expensive than normal because they have to like ship it in across the state you know what i mean it's not like yeah there's no city next the to you middle of the fucking desert yeah you're, yeah you're literally just in a bowl in the middle of the desert you're in a place where people shouldn't be yeah exactly you're in a bowl in the middle of the desert but uh so everything there is just gas and i i just fell in love with it you know like my parents still have an electric stove and i was like such a, i'm like this is annoying you don't have to worry about some electronic thing you literally just have a flame in the middle that you're you're cooking on yeah. so it's it's so always the like same a, you got to get that long like you know lighter thing no you don't have to do that mine lights it's they light themselves now oh they're just self-lighting you, you turn it on and then it, it like has this clicking noise and it, oh, you know. okay i've done this where you like turn it you right. hold it yeah, yeah, hold it a bit. And I don't even lights. think about it anymore. It's like such a secondary thing that I just do it. Lights, then I turn it on. And I've when seen, people I've come over, now that, now yeah, that someone tried to cook, you know heat up some food in my house the other day when they brought it over, and they were like, "How does this thing work?" And I was like, "Oh, my bad. You, you know, you've you know you have an electric stove. My bad, you know whatever." And there's there there's other stuff obviously or whatever, but um, it just it also heats up way faster. It heats your food way faster and more evenly and stuff too as well. So um, I don't know. I I just way prefer it. At the, at the food it, it's like you've tasted the difference of food from like the microwave to like a grill right and obviously it's a bigger difference but like grilled food you know over an open filet would just tastes better you know yeah. like, some of the best food i've ever had has been the few times i've gone camping mm-hmm. oh yeah like i'm not gonna lie i love grilled vegetarian meals it's like one of my favorite things in the world like especially when you get the good marks on like your you know those good grill marks on your food and stuff oh man there's something about it like it's just so good yeah, yeah, no, it's nice. 
I will say, this is kind of like the uh, the episode, I think it was like last week or the week before, where we were joking about, like, what's your favorite axe handle? And, you know, going out, <laughs> the, the actual, like, pioneer, you know, like, you know. As much as my appearance might suggest it, I am, uh, I, I'm pretty sure I would be worthless be it being outside and, like, having to survive in the wilderness. Though, like... Yeah, same. What, what would happen... Here's what would happen, is if I was with someone who knew, like, basic things... I would, I, you know, I would adapt and learn quickly, I think, and survive with them. And there would be one very strange situation where a piece of incredibly esoteric knowledge that I had would somehow save us. You, you would just bind it all. Yeah, you would just be like the, the glue, like the one little, yeah. the little screw that puts everything together. There, yeah, there, sure. Like I, I would have one moment of glory in the wilderness, yeah. but that mo- I would have to survive until that moment occurred. And the likelihood of and that's not a given. that uh, by myself is basically zero. Yeah. So I would need somebody with me to, you know, even get to that moment where I could shine. I think I'd be okay if you were with me because I'm faster than you. So if an animal ever started ch- 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 uh, chasing us, I I would be okay. They would get you first. So I mean, if we split up, then it just depends on which direction it goes, right? I would make sure that I run the same direction as you. Okay. <laughs> Not, no joke. Um, other than that, uh, did some did some television stu- stuff. Uh, the wife and I started a new show that's coming highly recommended by a lot of people with Ozark. It's kind of like Netflix's Breaking Bad, you know, yeah, type thing. Yeah, talking about that show, and I didn't know what it's about. Uh, so it's in the third season. Oh, Apparently, the season's very good. I wasn't going to explain I, it. I'm just... No, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's a typical care. it's a typical Breaking Bad type story. If if, okay. if that makes sense. Um, I I started like, rewatching. You're not supposed to sympathize, but a bunch of people sympathize with anyway. Yeah, it's it's like okay, it's like um, there was some show once where they were talking about uh, I think it was um, Entourage, and in the show they 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 were making a movie about Pablo Escobar. And he's like, I want to humanize this horrible, like drug dealing man. He's like, you know, he's going to die. But when he dies, I want you to weep. Like, I want you to feel for the man. And like, if they, if look, if a book show movie, whatever makes me feel an emotional response during the thing, that's when you know, it's good writing and character development. Right. You know, what movie did that really surprisingly for me? What's that is the founder. I don't think I've seen this one. Like, you know, two, three years ago, uh, and it's about Ray Kroc and the founding of McDonald's. Okay. <laughs> I'm not... All right. Uh, so it stars... Um, uh, Michael Keaton? Kevin... Is it Kevin Costner? No, it's Michael Keaton, Nick Michael Offerman. Michael Keaton. That's where I'm getting the K in my head. Mm-hmm. My, yeah, my, I was like, it's not Kevin Costner. I was say, good old IMDb. Pulse. Yeah, so it's Michael Keaton as Ray Kroc, and as uh, Nick Offerman and somebody else who's... Uh, I don't know the actor, as the McDonald's brothers... Who started, you know, McDonald's? John Carroll Lynch, sure. Yeah, in in Southern California, and then it has uh, has Linda Cardellini as uh, uh, who is wonderful, one of my favorite actresses. Yeah, she's awesome. Uh, so, uh, you know, and I knew going in watching the movie what the basic story behind McDonald's was. Uh, so, like Ray Kroc was this like middle aged dude in the fifties selling uh, milkshake equipment uh to you know companies or whatever he's in sales and got this like ridiculous order from a you know burger joint out in california and was like really confused and actually just drove out there trying to figure out what's going on and it turns out they were just crushing it just selling fucking milkshakes like gangbusters because they got this order that's way bigger than he expected and so like and he goes in and he sees this like very automated system of serving food and it was completely different from what he was used to uh, because, you know, that's the height of driving culture. And he decides that, like, this is revolutionary and he wants to get in on it. 
and eventually does. You know, they franchised him, and he starts building the uh, company back in his in Illinois, which is where he lived at the time, and, and throughout the Midwest. And they start butting heads, right? And then he eventually buys them out in the early 60s. And he becomes the McDonald's guy. And they sort of become, you know, footnotes. And he's this kind of pretty, like, ruthless businessman. And throughout the entire movie, like, I just started like, sympathizing with him. And then at the end, like, you know, he takes over and everything happens. It's like, I knew this entire story. And I'm walking out of the theater like, how did they trick me? And I was just like, God, that movie is good. I've watched it, you know, two, maybe three times since then. I watched it in theaters. It is just really good. Did they give you some Kool-Aid before or something? Do you, were, you, were you drugged? <laughs> oh, but they fucking got me. Yeah, Got me good, Tannen. Yeah, speaking of really good characters that make you feel something, Um, I started rewatching House. I had this, like, so I always keep up with, like, a new show, right? Like, something that I'm watching. And then I need something sometimes when I'm just, like, in bed. If, like, Natalie wants to go to bed early and, like, I have my iPad and I can, like, watch something right there. And I'm rewatching House. And uh, the reason this came up is, like, I remember recently some people were talking on Twitter about, like, what are some, like, perfect television episodes? You know, and people talk about, like, the think there's an episode of West Wing that was, like, highly, everyone says this is a perfect episode. Are you going to talk about the episode where they're going over the cases at the end of season yep. one? Yep. Yeah. I, I love the joke. It's, it's called, I think it's called, like, Three three Questions? Yeah. Or something, something, it's, like, it's something that. like that. It's and uh, I'm, I'm going to run this for you because this came out 10 years ago or whatever. But the character House has something ago. wrong with him. And he yeah, like 15 years ago. Yeah, something like that. It's, it, the show, look, even if you don't like the show, watching season one just to get to this episode to understand it completely is worth the the, the couple hours, you know, because it's like 22 episodes. So the, yeah. the 11 to 12 hours, it'll, I mean, actually, they're an hour long. So the almost an hour long. So the, the 20 ish hours it'll take you to get there. The episode's pretty perfect. Like, you know, just as an episode of TV show, I'm like, I can go back and watch this episode at any point in time and be like, this was, this was worth it. That ep- that episode is r- really, really good. As you can tell, like I, you know, that, that was not rehearsed beforehand in case no. anyone thinks, no. thinks that, you know. I wish they could have seen our faces. I had the biggest like shit eating grin on my face <laughs> yeah. when he started talking. I knew you'd get it right. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah. As, as someone who's also watched every episode of House, like, uh, honestly, if, if I were to recommend that show to anyone, I would tell them to watch the first four seasons and stop so the, like yeah I, I think the show is great from start to finish obviously you know Mosho's tail off in seasons like that seven one, that right? one tailed off after season four but there's there's two parts that, that like severely stand out that one and um wilson's girlfriend uh you, you, huh amber yeah I, I couldn't remember what does he call her conniving bitch Cut or something like that bitch cutthroat bitch yeah his nickname for it right um that season arc with him going crazy and her being his like yeah, when he's on the bu- when he's in the bus accident. Yeah, when he's in the bus that's accident. The, that's the finale of season four. I'm trying not to give away too much, but the scene Please, where like the, he hasn't the show is 15 years old. Okay, like. so she dies, right? But she sticks or like her corporal form sticks around as like his. He like projects well, that a corporeal form. Yeah, yeah that that's not what I mean. Physical. Yeah, her, but like yeah, her, her her visage. Yeah, it, like that's that's a better word. Is like his. It's like he projects that as like his his cope not his coping mechanism but maybe like his his morality center is something he talks to because there's a lot of like you can even though there's not in the show you can tell there's inner monologue going on a lot with his character and you know he's like going crazy you know he knows he's going crazy because he sees her even though she's dead and she's like gone for multiple episodes and you think everything's right and and, and normal and then all this stuff happens and then uh because he's you know weaning himself off the drugs and then the camera pans after, you know, it's been multiple episodes, and he starts to realize, he's like, wait a minute, this isn't how I thought it was, that's not how I thought it was, that's not how I thought it was, and then you realize, nothing from the last, like, three episodes is as how it seemed, because he's still fucking crazy, and then Amber, like, 
pans into the scene. And she's like, what? You thought I was gone? Or whatever. She says something along those lines. Like she whispers in yeah. his ear or something. And I was just like, I remember watching it and getting, I was like, I'm getting goosebumps literally right now thinking about it. Cause I was like, that was written so well. I did not see that coming. And that was amazing. You know, like that kind of stuff. So uh, just catching back up on really good television. It's I mean, if I want to watch all of it, man, it's like what, like eight seasons. <laughs> it's a walk show. Seven but or eight. Gregory Maybe. house is like the character. Gregory house is probably like a top five or 10 TV character of all time. So he's, he's worth it just for that character. The thing with me about House, though, is that it does it gets really repetitive. The formula of the yeah. of the show is very repetitive, which is great about th- that episode that we talked about. That's the first episode that doesn't really have that formula in the show. Yeah, you is- know, because it's just like it's just like pretty much every show, especially medical dramas. Like at the very beginning of the show, you get a little bit of the drama, right? You get a little bit of the continuing storyline of all the characters. This one's more of a, it's more of them imposing the formula for a crime procedural into a medical drama, which then like binds it even further with the idea of House being Sherlock Holmes. Well, yeah, I was say that's actually, yeah, that's what a lot of people don't get is this isn't your typical drama that they literally were like, we want um, like a medical show but we also want a Sherlock Holmes show and we want a mixture of the two characters. And in fact, it, there's also tons of Easter eggs in the show. Like he yeah, has the same address. His, his, yeah, his 221B is his apartment. Yeah, instead of 21 Baker Street or whatever, yeah. His you know, partner is Wilson instead of Watson. And, yeah, 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 exactly. Like and, there's and just- Who is also a doctor. <laughs> yeah, who's also a doctor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, and- There's no real Moriarty, is there? Um, I, I think Cuddy is supposed to be the Moriarty, sort of, like, you know, with a modern day twist. You know what I mean? Like, isn't who's uh? Wouldn't Cuddy be Irene Adler? No, because wait, hmm. Irene Adler is that's the one that does end up with Sherlock Holmes. That's, that's not Wilson's uh, wife, or is that no, Wilson? Irene Adler is like the love interest. They never you know are together, but like they're you know they have dalliances. It's it's the character played by Rachel McAdams in the the right. I guess films. it's a mixture. Also, my favorite Sherlock Holmes. I, I never really liked the movies that much, even though I like RDJ. Have you seen the BBC one that got uh, Benedict Cumberbatch popular? Like the I stuff have that not really... seen that one, but I also liked the Robert Downey Jr. At least the first one, okay. mainly because it had Rachel McAdams, and I like Rachel McAdams. Do me a favor. What What are your plans tonight? Uh, so after this, I have some reading I need to get done. Okay, how long is that going to take? Oh, a couple hours. Do you have an hour and like fifteen minutes to spare? Probably. Okay. So I think there's four seasons. It's it's yeah. on Netflix. There's like four seasons. I think there's three or four episodes in every season. Yeah, they're like, that's the thing. Like, they're very short. No, they're like an hour and a half. It's like a movie. It's like an yeah, hour and a half. Yeah, each, each episode is like insane. Just watch the first episode and then just somehow convince me you don't want to watch more of it when you're done. Because you will yeah. want to. It's amazing. It definitely sounds like something I would like. It's very good. If you like, if you like the Sherlock Holmes trope or anything like that, like... And I also liked... Um, I think I've only seen... Cumberbatch and one other thing, and I really liked that thing. It was uh, the Imitation Game. Yeah, I was gonna say that movie. one. Yeah, yeah, I figured that movie was good, even though it was oddly a historical. Yeah, he's he's good in most stuff. He's just a good actor, or whatever. But blah blah blah. So, um, have we reached our quota for non magic shit yet? <laughs> we're pretty yeah, far we're in. Getting up there, twenty four minutes. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, there were some uh, some events that went on this weekend, were there? and this week, and this week in in Pioneer. And um, so I like the results from this week because this is what we called for, right? Like we called for something to happen in the format, something to change. And we had seen Lotus Breach kind of dominating for what, about a week and a half-ish? Yeah. And that seems about the life of the best deck in this format on average, on average. It's been like a few weeks. 
and stuff changes. It's up a little, I think it's ratcheted a little higher uh, now with as much online presence there is and no paper. But uh, so what do we have? One super qualifier and two challenges as big events this week? That's what I'm seeing. Maybe there's another super qualifier early, but I think we covered that last week. Stop me if you heard this before, but it was won by the same deck. All three of them. Yeah, two challenges and a super qualifier, all won by Abzan Rally. I don't know. I don't think that's happened before. Yeah, we've come close, right? We've had like Breach, yeah. Breach, and then like second or something or third. You know, we've yeah. had something like that. So this is pretty cool. All the deck lists look pretty similar. Um, wondering where they got them from, you know, where the, the genesis of this was or the basis of this was like pretty cool. We could talk about the differences. We're going to take a deep dive into, into Abzan Rally today and really talk about it. But, you know, I look through these three lists, you know, I'm trying to see what's different. Um, I look at this one and, you know, this one's got like a lot of blister pods. Some of the other ones don't. And hold on a second. I'm really like looking at this list. Give me one second. Ross. What's your middle name? It's uh, Carrie. With a K? No, it's it's Irish. It's spelled with a C. C-A-R-E-Y. So what are your initials? It's uh, R-C-M. And what's your last name? It's uh, Miriam. So... You know this, Tannen. What are you getting so, at? So if I, saw the, if I saw the name R.C. Miriam, first place, is that good? I thought so. For those who didn't know, we we tried to bury the lead as long as we could. Congratulations, Ross, for winning one of the challenges this weekend. It was very fun to watch for the time that I could. It was during Mother's Day, so I missed a a big chunk of it, but I'm going to go back and watch. But it was actually really sweet to watch you win because... I'm not going to lie. Like, I, I, I knew that you were doing well in it. I didn't know where in the tournament you were. And I pulled up Twitch, and I was like, why does he have 950 <laughs> viewers or whatever? Like, what's going on? And then, like, I get in, and you, like, win this match, and your chat just blows up into, congrats, GG, and, like, you know, all this stuff. And, like, I got to watch the last, like, two games or whatever, and they were close, hard-fought matches. Um, Luris, you know, Luris matchup here in the finals. I think it was uh, the, the mono-red burn. It was a red-white burn deck with yeah, Luris versus, versus you. And, uh... All right, yeah, take it away. Congratulations. Well, th- thank you very much. Yeah, it was a super great stream. Uh, you know, had a good chat the entire time. Played a lot of fun matches. Um, you know, a good spread. I think it, so. It was, we played all seven rounds of Swiss and all three rounds in the elimination round. So it was ten matches. I had five five Yorian matchups, three Luris matchups, and two non-companion matchups. So the easy uh, ones, but uh, no, actually the non-companion matchups are the hardest. <laughs> it's Lotus, it's Lotus Breach, right? Yeah, the, I think the strength of Abzan Rally uh, is that it's good against other companion decks. So the the two non-companion decks were was one Lotus Breach, like you said, which is Caleb Shearer, and then uh, one regular Demir Inverter. And I actually think that deck is scarier than Yorian Demir Inverter because the 60-card list is better at being a combo deck. And it's right. the combo aspect of the deck that you're most afraid of. Yeah, because you don't interact with it super well. There can be just as fast as you. So um, I got to make a comment here. I love it when people put their money where their mouth is or like really proclaim something. You're like, this is it. This is good. This is what you should be doing. And then they go out and prove it, right? And like you had just written an article about this. It's really funny. The, the day before this happened... Uh, one of my friends who lives across the country, uh, he was like, hey, uh, I got to have the day off. I'm going to play in one of the Pioneer events. What should I play? And I literally told him, Abzan Rally, go go look at Ross's list. If you don't have premium, pay for it. It's worth it for, for, the, for the article this week. And, uh, and then I messaged him after, and I was like, was I wrong? <laughs> I was like, it won all the events. And like, I was, I mean, like, I wasn't 100% sure, but I knew that you had been putting in work. Did your friend play Abzan Rally, though? I, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And so... Um, I didn't ask how, how they, I need to ask him how they yeah. did or whatever, just to kind of whatever. But um, it, it's great to see something like that happen, right? Like you get to kind of be ahead of it and man, you nailed it. 
I I gotta say, as great as it is to see it from your perspective, it's gotta be better from my perspective. <laughs> it's way know? better to be the. Per- I would not know, Ross. I've never wanted anything. <laughs> I wouldn't know. All right. I was just- you know, I, I, you know, you you put your list out, and my list is has a few odd card choices. Right, but you played the same seventy five from your um yes from your same seventy five from my article. Uh, you know, just roll which up is with big. It. You don't see that every day. Like someone write an article, they have the same seventy five from the article. Like you know, think of like Jerry Thompson, who's just like, here's my deck list. I don't care. Like here's what I'm playing. Like you know, kind of thing. Sorry. I mean, he would certainly be the person to play the same deck. He just doesn't focus on tournament play much. Uh, at all but I, I agree like and it, it's awkward for content creators because if we have an article that goes up early in the week oftentimes in the three or four days since then like we've learned some new stuff or the metagame has shifted and we want to change something so you really can't expect somebody uh you know to stay true to that for very long because magic is so fast-paced and so dynamic now the article that i had didn't go up until friday or saturday i can't remember which day and so the tournament sunday that's a pretty you know quick turnaround and i didn't really see anything that, that needed changing you know there are things that i wasn't a hundred percent on you know things that are certainly judgment calls uh but like what? Was, uh you know the the main deck draneth magistrate which is definitely just me really trying hard to beat lotus breach in game one even though it's honestly not even that good at beating them uh <laughs> but the the call of the death weller which is something that i have that nobody else has and you know, I put that in as a, something that's very experimental, and I still have barely drawn it because yeah. it's only one of. And I know that if it's going to be good, it's only going to be as a one of. So I refuse to put more in just to, you know, test the card. But I just haven't seen enough to be super confident about it. But what I know about the deck makes it make sense. And, you know, and that's how I build. Because there's no way, there's just no way in Magic that you can play enough with any single deck to say with, you know, any degree of certainty for this weekend, this list is the best. And I can tell you that I've tested enough that solely based on my empirically gained knowledge, this is the case. You have to be able to take what you've knowledge you've gained through uh, empirical t- testing and empirical data and be able to filter that through an abstract knowledge of the machinations and inner workings of the deck and be able to make at least a few leaps from there. I think you should definitely speak for yourself when you're talking about that. I know that my lists, especially when I was playing Legacy, were perfect every time. <laughs> oh, yeah. The the classic, hey, guys, uh, should this 15th sideboard card be a second Ancient Grudge, a, you know, second Dismember, or like a Molten Rain? There was always some weird card that you were thinking about yeah. for that weekend. I don't know. The, like They snuck in once or twice, the real weird ones. Like, uh, I, I have a top eight with, like, um, what's the... God, what is it? It's like it's like one blue mana. You get to change the 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 target of a divert. Yeah, I had a I, I definitely have a, yeah I have a I have a divert when yeah, abrupt a decay Odyssey was really that, popular. That was a, that's always a card that uh you know long time legacy players as soon as they see people start to play him to Turok they're like give me a divert baby. If you divert a him to Turok when you're on the draw, oh. So oh, baby. what Ross is referring to is a lot of times when we would team together, um, him and Brennan would have a long discussion about you know, either what decks to play or huge, you know, swathing changes, you know, burning be like, oh, I want, I want this to be my removal spot. If I do that, then I have to change these four cards and this, then my mana base needs to change. I need like an extra black source, blah, blah, blah. And every weekend it would always be the same thing. It'd be like, hey, what do I want my last two sideboard cards to be or whatever? You know, like it's, it's super <laughs> simple for me. But if anyone's ever heard of, um, you know, Patrick Sullivan and his burn aficionado ways, he has what's called the, he calls it the burn box, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So he has a box of cards that he keeps with him that just has all of his burn cards for 
every format, right? He could build a standard deck out of it. He could build a modern deck out of it. He could build a legacy deck out of it. I have that for, for, for Delver, especially in legacy, right? Like I just have all of my legacy cards and I bring the other lands too, just in case I want to switch colors. I can even switch over to another deck or whatever. I just have like my legacy box, but it's mostly a Delver box. And there are some obscure cards in there. And some weird ones, like he was joking about Molten Rain. I think there is a copy of Molten Rain in there, but like, <laughs> you know, there's there's some there's some real weird stuff in there that we want to make sure that if I really want it this weekend, I've got access to this card. You know, it's 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 a really cool thing that you can be doing. So, do you have a uh, do you have a Burnout? Uh, which one's Burnout? Colas and a red. They can't play lands or whatever. Counter target instant spell, blue instant spell, and then draw a card at the beginning of the next up. No, I don't have one of those. I did have a Teferi's response. In there for a tiny oh, bit of time. Um, I've got some, you know, what, I need to go through it because I haven't been through it in God knows how long now since we can't play Paper Magic and I haven't played Legacy in a long time. But there was some really cool stuff in there. I have a lot of, here's the other thing. There's some Commander products in there because believe it or not, those cards are messed up. There's some some oh, sweet, yeah. like, like there's this red. Dissident Mage or. Th- there's like a red sorcery or incident or something there that does some weirdo stuff to like, you choose a color and it deals X damage to the creatures of that color and then does some, I can't remember anymore, but I was like, this would be really good in the mirror in this situation, you know, like when something gets played a lot. What's there's the one that does? Um, it's like burned ashes or whatever. It takes away all their non-basics, and then they can go get it. it they can go replace them with basics. But like, let's they be real, in legacy, their entire mana base. Yeah, they just get gendered. Like you know, it's just like yeah, yeah. So it's it's sweet in some matchups. It's a lot less good with Astrolabe kind of running things in the format. But. What's the like colors black red? You like deal five damage, divide it as you choose, and like lose a bunch of life. Fiery conflict or fiery whatever. Fiery, not fiery justice, but fire covenant. Fire, fire covenant. covenant. That that was always a nice one. I have a fire covenant in there. That was for the early like, that was before. That was like maybe early DRS days or right before DRS days of like. That was when young pyromancer Grixis Delver was like yeah. really really good. Colors black red instant as additional cost pay X life deal X damage divided as you choose among any number of target creatures. You just get to fireball creatures with your life total. Yeah. See that that was that's always the the obscure card that I think of because I was just deathly afraid of it anytime I was playing Elves. Oh yeah, if it resolved, you're fucking dead. <laughs> like, that's yeah. one of those cards that you're just not beating. Uh, I had a I had a bonfire of the damned in the sideboard of one of my lists. Uh, have you ever brainstormed away a bonfire of the damned for us? Uh, I can't say I have. You can also do it during their turn. But that reminds me of something. We got to detour a little bit. Sure. I think we've done that a lot anyway, so it's not like it's a... we're detouring in a magic-related way still. Sure. But we got a detour uh, towards uh, towards modern. Did you okay. see Aspiring Spike uh, oh, yeah. win the the Super Qualifier earlier this week? So c- can, we just, can we just start with congratulations? Yeah. Yeah. No, it couldn't happen to a better person. Yeah, huge fan. I watched a, a good bit of that stream on Monday. I watched a little bit of it myself. Yeah. That deck... The Miracles control deck. I cannot imagine a better Mystic Sanctuary deck exists. Okay. A, Mystic Sanctuary is fucked up. Yeah. B, yes, you're correct. That deck is absurd. The number of people that would just cast a spell into Fetchland Counterbalance that was not going to resolve. <laughs> yeah. like, you just know, too. Back, get this Archmage's chart back, kind of your Luris, get whatever. Like It was filthy. And this is the card that, like, that card gets kind of forgotten, right? Like, you know, as from especially from the set that it came out in, because that set is quite possibly one of the most powerful sets of all time. Yes, and one of the least popular. 
there's a reason that it's not popular. Oh, yeah. And he said that has Oko in it. It's going to be very unpopular. Oh, you're talking about Mystic Sanctuary. I thought you were talking about Counterbalance. No, I, I hate Counterbalance as well, by the way, if you don't know that. I, <laughs> and literally those descriptions can fit both cards. <laughs> yeah, uh, not a big fan of Counterbalance. Uh, I've lost, what was it? We we almost we almost either lost playing for top eight or whatever. Yeah, that's right. I almost We almost lost playing for top eight where I got a, someone blind flipped a Force of Will on my Force of Will from their counterbalance and I was playing against Miracles and they had already used multiple Force of Will. So you know how many fives they have in their deck, Ross? It's not a lot. Yes. It's just Force of Will. Yeah. And I remember I was like very upset. Like I don't you know, I don't normally get like emotional during a game or whatever, but I was just like, just come on. You know? Like, yeah. No, the, the game I beat Miracles with Elves when they had at one point counterbalance top energy field rest in peace was uh was pretty nice. <laughs> yeah. There's some crazy versions of that deck for sure. But for... Let's kind of ring back to the point of where we were talking about. So Spike won a PTQ, or got the qualification from what is a, essentially a PTQ uh, in Modern playing Blue-White Miracles. So pretty cool. Uh, definitely super happy for him. I, I, sent him a, I sent him a message congratulating him. I watch his stream almost every day. He's a, you know, I don't know if he's a, he's a fan of the show, but he's a friend of the show. I think is a better definitely, way to yeah. put it. You know, he's been on. We'll have him on again at some point in time. It's nothing. It could, like you said, it couldn't happen to a nicer person. You got to love people who... Put in it's like it's like what I was talking about with you earlier. He puts in the work, right? You know, like oh, and, yeah. he, and he but like he goes through a lot of bad decks too, like good ones, bad ones, cool ones, whatever you want to call them. But like when he gets it right, he gets it right. Yeah, and anybody who tries to build decks, especially someone who does it as often as he does, you know, you go through a lot of bad ones. So he has nice the most. He has the most important factor when it comes to it. He is willing to be wrong, and that is the most important factor when it comes to. I, I kind of suffer from that. I'm kind of worried about being wrong, so I usually play it safe. And that's not bad. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm generally playing very powerful decks of very powerful cards. But, you know, I think about some of the best decks that I've ever played in my life. Like, I remember, like, one of the best decks I ever played at a Pro Tour. The deck looked like a piece of shit on paper. And all the cards were, like, not very powerful. But it was just very good. Yeah. You know, kind of uh, thing. The, Being willing to be wrong, I think, is one of the really uh, key aspects of leveling up in Magic. Because not only does it, you know, on the surface you know, lead you just making better decisions, but it is also only possible when you have given up some amount of your ego, right? If you are too egotistical, you're not going to be willing to be wrong because it, it, it will hurt your ego to do so. So you do have to, you know, kill a portion of that ego off, which is a good thing in order to get to that place where you can be willing to be wrong in the first place. And, you know, having, you know, I'm not going to say that to be a successful competitor, you know, in Magic or in any other endeavor, you have to have no ego. In fact, I think, you know, a lot of successful people do, you know, have have some amount of ego, uh, especially in pro sports. You need some swagger, right? Like you need some confidence. Yeah, you, you have, yeah, but you have to be able to set that aside. It can't, you can't let, you can't be controlled by your ego, right? Or do you think people can... Oh lose enough of their ego to be good at magic and still and still be and have that be possible if they're narcissistic ask asking for a friend <laughs> you piece of shit i'm so sorry uh you know i meant i meant me by the way if you, if you took that the wrong way not you <laughs> sure you did Tana. i really did but anyway <laughs> just trying to make everything about you i i just said i was narcissistic ross like come on keep up Drink some more wine. 
There you go. Yeah, Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Don't yeah, Ross, Ross is having a nightcap already, or an afternoon cap over here. So uh, I like it or whatever, but it's okay. It's only my second glass and I only had two beers before this. So two plus two is four. We're fine. All right. So yeah, math checks out. So um, if you're okay with it, do you want to circle back and talk some more of this uh, amazing pioneer deck that we, yeah, that, let's you, talk that you about played? Yeah, fucking Absent Rally. This deck is sweet as hell. Yeah. All right. I mean, go, go for it. Uh, okay. Real quick. What made you champion this deck over the last week? Like what really brought you to it? And then go uh, from there. Um attrition but not in a magic the gathering sense you mean attrition is in like you'd been through all the other decks and you couldn't find one you yes <laughs> good good call tannin so basically i had not won with anything in pioneer for a while oh yeah i was making fun of you for it quite a bit yeah and i had tried a lot of different decks to the point where i was playing yorian decks and that is not my style yeah and that yeah. went very poorly i could just tell when you like queued up yorian you just immediately were in a bad mood before you even like before you even looked at your opening hand. Like, when you clicked the submit deck, join the game, <laughs> I could see the, like, the frown, the brow creasing, and you just, like, shaking your head. You're like, I'm gonna fucking hate this. <laughs> so it's come to this. <laughs> yeah. So I had lost with everything. And the two weeks ago... So it was ago, only when I was at my absolute bottom could I, could I see yeah, clearly. I guess anyway. almost two weeks ago, more like a week and a half ago, you know, there was the Lotus Box, you know, event mm-hmm. that was Pioneer, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I'm gonna play that. And, you know, Saturday night came, and I was just thinking, like, what am I going to play? Like, I hate every deck. I've yet to find a deck I liked, and I tried, like, three or four of them. And I went to bed that night just saying, I haven't tried Ors of Wars yet. It's my style. I know it's powerful. I know it's good. We're just going to play that. And I woke up the next morning, and I just couldn't bring myself to register that deck. And I don't even really know why. Like, you, you, we, you were here when we talked about that deck you know, after the Pro Tour, and I loved it. But for some reason, in a post-Luris world, I just don't like it anymore. It's st- like That deck needs to be... It needs to be the Rudy. It needs to be the one that you root for. It needs to be, you know, the underdog for me to like it. And I don't know why. I can't... I just... I can't tell you. I haven't unpacked that part of myself. No, I, I get it. I, I, I Have you ever noticed that I kind of have an aversion to playing the best deck? Like, I've done it once or twice, but only when it's, like, a deck that's specifically good for that weekend or something like that. Or if it... Well, you did it for a year and a okay. half in Legacy. Yeah, but but I played it before it was the best deck. You know what I mean? I played sure. it... I, I would play it if it was the worst deck, just because, like, that's me or whatever. But, like, when a, when a deck, especially, like, specifically combo decks or a deck is, like, established as the best, I always want to beat that deck and I never play with it. But, yeah. No, I spent, like, three months trying to convince you and Jim to play Is It Phoenix in Modern when it was the best deck, and neither of you would fucking bite. Okay, I did eventually. I thought the deck was broken. Argue with my results before that, though. Yeah, yeah. You you won with Tron. Jim, not so much. Yeah. But, uh, we, we, lo- we, we love you, Jim. That. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I, I get that. And I I actually, for a while, I, I didn't have that aversion, and now I kind of do. And I think it's just because, like, I'm, I'm just not as spiky as I used to be. Like, I don't, I'm not willing to sacrifice literally everything to marginally increase my expected value in a tournament. Did you just become a content creator? You just became a content creator. I mean, honestly, like, if if you're really thinking about content creation, like, yeah, like, there is, I guess now in in this age, like, you know, 10 years ago, content creation was largely about, you know, how good are you, right? And the the better you did, the more people wanted to read your stuff. Now it's a very different game. So uh, I get what you're saying there. But honestly... It's just about me enjoying my time playing Magic tournaments. Yeah. And it's not like I can't succeed playing decks I like. Um, 
But with Orzov Auras, like, it's, I, I'm not averse enough to playing the best deck that I will eschew times when the deck I like is the best deck. And I think Orzov Auras is cool. But for some reason, I just didn't really want to play it. Um, and I really, I to this day, I, I you know it's only been a week and a half. I don't know why I'm saying to this day. It sounds way too grandiose, but I used to, I just don't know why. I just didn't. I I think okay. I've I've thought about it over the last five minutes, so I have my pop psychology answer. And I think it. What I think is, I just didn't want to continue doing the same thing. Which is what I, I just been running down the list of like the tier one decks, you know. I played Lurus Burn and I played all the these different Yorin decks and what have you. And I was like, I'm just not going to keep playing the same established archetypes and like play them at a mediocre rate because I'm just picking the deck up with a mediocre list because I'm playing some stock list. Like, I've got to try something different because I've been banging my head against this wall for too long. And Absent Rally was that different thing. And Gracias Portanto had made the top eight of a. Uh, super qualifier and i literally played just their exact list uh so you know i wasn't straying too far but i was playing at least a different deck i could see the idea behind why parts of it would be good uh i was a little worried about the overall power level of the deck and so i played it in that event and despite the fact that i went three and three before dropping i left really confident because i was three and one and i punted two matches and it was completely my fault and I saw the potential in the deck. I saw what it was doing. I saw things that I didn't see when I just looked at the deck on paper. You know, when you play a deck, you always see things that you can't see on paper because Magic has so many eventualities and you're going to run into those scenarios. And I said, okay, this is my Pioneer deck. And, you know, I played a bit with it that week. I wrote my article about it. I made some changes based on, you know, what I had learned. And honestly, you know, I went 2-4 in a super qualifier the next week, which was bad, but my league results were good. And, you know, I still had some confidence in the deck. I woke up, played the challenge, and it went a lot better than the Super Qualifier. <laughs> Just a little bit. Um, all right. So you kind of alluded to it earlier, but tell me about, like, the actual tournament itself. Like, the decks you played against, how you feel the matches are, you know, the matchups are, et cetera, et cetera. So I said I played five Yorian decks, three Lurus decks, and two non-companion decks. We already covered the non-companions as in 60-card inverter and Lotus Breach. The Lurus matchups were two Lurus burn decks and one mirror match against Michael Bondi, uh, who was playing what I think was just a copycat of the winning list from the Super Qualifier. At least it certainly seemed that way. Um, and then the Yorian decks I played against were three of the Fires Luca deck, basically a port of the standard deck, topping out Agent of Treachery. Um, you know, it was literally round seven which is the last round of Swiss, the top eight and the top four were those decks. And the first and third of those were the same person. So the the person who was, uh, you know, the one person who was 7-0, I got paired up in the last round. I beat them in the last round, but they were 6-0. So I beat them in, the, in round seven, then I beat them again in the top four. Um, so there was three of those. There was an Esper Doom Foretold deck, uh, which was my one loss. And then round one was a Bant Yorian deck. So a lot of mid-range, a little bit of aggro, a little bit of combo. Um, so a good spread. And as far as I'm concerned, like all of my matchups felt good for me with the exception of Lotus Breach. And obviously like the mirror is going to be close no matter what. 
And then the inverter matchup is certainly close. And if they're playing 60 card, I kind of think that the matchup is slightly in their favor. Um, but, but certainly close. So those were the scary ones. Uh, I drew really, really well in the inverter matchup. Just two really good draws. Um, and then Lotus Breach. Um, you know, I lost game one to a mold of four. And, uh, and that, you know, game one is really hard regardless. So it was actually kind of fortuitous to get my a horrible draw out of the way if I was going to have one that match. Uh, game two, I mulliganed, you know, once or twice. It was at least a six, maybe to five. But I had a strong hand regardless of what it was that played a couple creatures early to apply pressure and had a damping sphere. And, you know, they didn't have an immediate answer to the sphere. And I killed them before they found one. And then the in game three, Caleb kept a... Temple of Mystery, Lotus Breach, no other land hand, and did not find a second land. Oh, well. That said, the hand that I kept thought seized him on turn three and killed him on turn four. So I think that's going to win a lot of games against Lotus Breach regardless. Yeah. Uh, I had a, a very good sequence of draws and in that's, game three. That's your best game plan against him, right? Is to have, like, maybe a decent piece of disruption, like a thought seize, or, you know, hey, if you have a sphere, you have a sphere. But, like, you need to be doing your plan as well to kill them as quickly as possible, right? That's a really, really good point, uh, one I'm glad you brought up, because I think it's something a lot of people overlook. You know, the, the fear of combo decks like Lotus Breach or, you know, any combo deck in any format really, really causes people to overreact and think, you know, for my hand to be good, I need to have a lot of disruption. And disruption has diminishing returns. If you give a combo deck enough time, they'll fight their way through. Especially Lotus Breach that can just deviate into this Ugin plane. So I really value having a clock anytime I'm playing against a combo deck. And that game three hand, I actually kept what is a hand with no disruption. I drew the Thoughtseize uh, as my first draw step, but it was a hand that had like, you know, a one drop, a Seder Wayfinder, a Cartel or a Scrat, a Rally, like two or three lands. Maybe it was Return of the Rank, something like that, like one of the payoff cards. And something that had a really strong curve, multiple of the pieces I needed, you know, it was going to fill my graveyard a little bit, have a sack outlet, and have a payoff card. And so I thought, like, this hand can really kill on turn four. Even though I'm on the draw, I'm going to keep this, and I'm either going to hope Caleb stumbles once, or I draw a piece of disruption in my first three draw steps. And if neither of those happens, I'm going to lose. But it's pretty likely, I think, that one of those things happens. And, you know, this hand is going to be good if that does. As it turns out, both of them happened. I drew a Thoughtseize. Caleb stumbled several times. So, you know, I, I won rather easily. Uh, but the, having a clock is really, really important. And, uh, you know, milling your graveyard and setting up a rally on turn four is the fastest way that this deck kills. All right. So another important question. Would you make any changes to the deck list going forward? Or do you feel that it's, it's pretty good as is? Uh, I mean, the, the list, you know, right now is is fine as is, but I will certainly change it before I play another tournament. I'm intrigued by the other couple lists, um, the Super Qualifier list and the... Uh, actually, just the Super Qualifier list is what I want to point out, is they adjusted the mana base slightly. They cut two Overgrown Tombs for two Sun Petal Groves, and uh, that adds a few more white sources to the deck, which is nice, you know, just for return and rally. Uh, though you often can just Convoke for the second white on return. Uh, but it also just adds more painless mana to the deck. You frequently, with the traditional mana base, which is just 12 shock lands, 8 fast lands, and a planes, you're dealing yourself 4 damage, on average, I would say, in a game. And with Lurus Burn being as popular as it is, that's a problem. Because the games you lose to, in the Lurus Burn matchup are games where your opponent just runs you over. I think if you untap on turn 6, 
you're a huge favorite. If you want to tap on turn five, the game's close, you're ahead. And most of the time, like, if they're winning, they're killing you on turn four or five. So, you know, the more damage you can avoid dealing yourself with your lands, the better. The Sun Petal Groves definitely help there. So I'm going to experiment adjusting the mana base. You know, when I first started, I just copied the list as is, and I never really found a reason to change the mana base. But that makes sense to me. Now that I've played more and Lurisburn is more popular, and now that they just kind of put it into my head. Because most of the time when you have a mana base, as long as you're being able to cast your spells, it doesn't really register with you that that's something that needs to change. And you don't need to fiddle with it. Um, you know, it does take away some turn one green sources for uh, Blister Pod if you want to move in that direction. And that's where a lot of these lists are going as well. Uh, so th there is some tension there, but I like the idea of reducing the amount of damage that the mana base does. You know, it's a slight tweak. Uh, I think ultimately I'm going to move the Draineth Magistrate to the sideboard or cut it entirely because Lotus Breach, while it was at its zenith, you know, a week, week and a half ago, has come down quite a bit. Uh, you're not seeing it like, you know, one or two copies in every top eight. You're seeing zero to one copies in every top eight. And the matchup game one is pretty bad regardless, like anyway. And Draineth Magistrate is just not good in other matchups, and I would prefer to have more one-drops. So I think the first thing I'm going to do is just cut a Magistrate for a Blister Pod. I'm going to adjust the, you know, the mana base. I'm pretty happy with the rest of it, though the one thing I want to experiment with is Priest of Forgotten Gods. I boarded that card out in every single round I played in the challenge. Really? Every single one. You never, yeah. you never wanted it to post... 10 post for 10. It is very good against Orzhov Oris and uh, Luris Heroic. Okay. Both of which are pretty popular, and I managed to you know, just not play against. It is honestly the best card in your deck in both matchups, especially Oris. And if you know if you happen to untap with it in other creature matchups, it can still be quite good. Like it, it, it's it's also quite good against the Heliod Yorian decks, which have also dr dropped in popularity. So it, I have got to keep an eye on what happens with those three archetypes. But I want to experiment with trimming or cutting that card entirely. Okay. You know, it is another sacrifice outlet. I'm already on four Cartel Aristocrat, and most of us only have three. I think that is baffling to only play three. Uh, but, you know, we can get into that. Uh, and then you have uh, Priest of Forgotten Gods and uh, Fiend Artisan as other ways to at least sacrifice for some value. The issue with Fiend Artisan is that it will never work off a rally. Because your creatures exile and your upkeep. So even if you rally on their turn, untap, Feed Artisan says you can only activate as a sorcery. You can't respond to the trigger right. on your upkeep. Priest, you can do that. You know, in case you're trying to you know rally for value or you need to rally to block or, or you just need the extra two life. You know, you don't have enough material to drain them for lethal. So Priest helps a little bit in that regard. It is, you know, so good in the matchups where it's good in. And it even won me game one against Yorian, or a non-Yorian inverter in the challenge. You know, I drew two extra cards and I found the card to kill them on the last card to race their turn five combo. They tapped out for inverter on turn four and I killed them before they untapped uh, because of the two cards I ended up drawing off of Priest in that game. So, uh, you know, even outside of the matchups where it's good, just throwing some creatures away to draw extra cards, tear through your deck, make your land drops, find your payoffs is still fine because you're often getting those cards back or they're making tokens when they die or, you know, the 1-1 one, one Seder Wayfinder didn't matter anyway or the, the Stitcher Supplier's milling you for three, which is something you wanted. So uh, it, it's still just, you know, in general, a good card in the deck, but it's obviously not very good against decks that don't play many creatures 
And it's not very good against decks that have lots of cheap removal to kill it. And that is Lurus Burn, most of the Yorian decks that are seeing play right now, which are mostly Luka decks and, um, and the Super Friends deck, as well as, you know, Lotus Breach and Inverter. In all five of those matchups, it comes out. And those are, you know, five of the six or seven most common decks. So that's the, that's the card I'm wondering about right now that's heretofore has been a sacred cow. But for the most part, you know, the deck is solid and it doesn't, it's not really malleable in how you build it. Now, I've had people suggest a lot of different tutor targets for Fiend Artisan. You just don't really have space uh, unless you cut on Priest, which is one of the motivations for trying that. And then I've had another card I've had a lot of people suggest is uh, Voice of Resurgence. You know, you want more double double body cards, just to have more material, more stuff to throw away. And voice is, you know, the best a double body card ever printed. But you really just don't want to add more twos. The, the curve is glutted on twos, I just want to add more ones. That's why I like the idea of these other lists moving towards a lot of blister pods along with um, Haunted Witnesses. You know, I identified blister pod as the next best one drop myself, even though I only played one copy. Um, you know, sometimes the mana you get is relevant for Rally if you're stuck on free lands. You know, sometimes being able to sacrifice a creature by itself if you're trying to drain them out with Priest and you don't have Cartel Riscrat is relevant. Sometimes it being colorless against Alcyon of Life's Bounty or cart- opposing Cartel Riscrat to block that is relevant. So Blister Pod has, does a lot of little things. And that's kind of what this deck is about. All your cards do a lot of little things. And you got to know all the little things they do. You know... Do you know what really surprised me from this deck? What really impressed me the most, and I'm not above admitting it, the uh, Fiend Artisans. Like, this is a card that I was kind of low on. Let's put it this way. I wasn't low on it, but I was lower than the average person, right? Because, like, everybody saw this and they were like, oh, this and oh, that. And, like, I don't think a lot of people saw it coming in, like, this kind of deck. And I think we mentioned it, that if, like, a, you know, a Sacrifice deck or this kind of deck shows up, that maybe this is the kind of card, that, I mean, the kind of deck that puts this card on the map or whatever, but, like, Every game that I watched you play, it seemed like it was doing a lot. And then, like, in the finals, I watched you play against the Burn deck. And you just put two of them in play as, like, three threes or four fours. And it, like, just stopped them from attacking. You know, it was, it was yeah. awesome. Or or they had to attack, like, use a Burn spell and trade their creature or something like that. And I was just like, whoa. Because it, like, it was like your Termagoy fan matchup. Because anyone who's ever played, like, Jund in Modern or, like, Rug Delver in Legacy versus Burn... One of the most important cards for you is just get a Termagoy from play because they can't kill it. It's huge. And if they do kill it, they expend so many resources killing it that they probably can't kill you anymore. Yeah, and it lets you just race them. Uh, I agree. When I first saw the list and I played it in the Lotus Box event, I thought, okay, we're going to play this event. I'm going to realize that Fiend Artisan sucks and we're going to figure out what to cut it for. And it ended up just being really good. And... You know, this was literally my pick for most overrated card in Pioneer from Ikoria when we did our live set review show. I think I picked the same one. I can't remember. This is the card that I went like that I went back and forth on the most. You know, I was like, this is the one I was the most unsure of. So we'll put it that way. You you might have also done it. I I can't remember that. But I, I added know it on my mine. list. I, I sent you multiple lists, and it was on my list at one point for top eight cards. But anyway, go ahead. But I I uh, you know I was hundred percent my pick for most overrated card, and I I think my analysis of the card was spot on. Everybody who looked at it and read it was thinking, oh, like it's like a Tarmogoyf and a Birthing Pod. Both those cards are good. So when you add them together, you know, you know it's going to be great, right? You know, good plus good equals great. But what I saw was a card with two disparate abilities that worked in, towards two different paths. See, you were never going to get both of the cards' abilities to work together. 
They were always going to work against each other in a destructive manner as opposed to a constructive manner. And that meant it was never going to be, it was always going to be worse than the sum of its parts. And that's usually a sign a card isn't going to be very good. And for the most part, that's been true. You know, you haven't seen people put Fiend Harvest in in any old deck. But this deck specifically does actually make use of both halves of it and do it very well. Uh, and so it's very unique in that respect. And, you know, sometimes, like you said, it's relevant as a Tarmogoyf. And honestly, it's more relevant as a Tarmogoyf in this deck still than the pod. And you would think the other way around. It's close, but I want to say, you know, if I had to throw an arbitrary number on it, it's like 60-40 Tarmogoyf. Maybe even a little higher. Uh, maybe 2-1. to one. So, you know, especially in the red matchup, uh, like my, one of my number one goals in that matchup is to like play a turn one citrus supplier, make an early block, and then play a very large fiend artisan to brick wall them. Uh, if it's a seven, seven, seven is the absolute ideal because then two, three damage burn spells don't kill it. Uh, you know, but even six, six is great because you can block a two, two and they can't, uh, kill it with a three damage burn spell. I'm always really upset when my burn opponents play turn one souls car mage because it means my fiend artisan is like handleable. Yeah. Uh, but, but otherwise, Soulscar Mage is the one that can like throw a range in the plan. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but even then, like the more burn they're sending at your creatures, the better. Because eventually you're going to rally or return them back. So you really just want to force them to expend resources trading with your resources as much as possible. Uh, because, you know, you're going to dominate the late game. And Fiend Artisan is what helps you do that. All your other creatures are two twos, one twos, and one ones. It's the only one that lets you go tall. It, it, it feels to me like. Obviously, you can't always do this in a perfect world, but they should just be avoiding that. Because they're not... They have a finite amount of resources for a game. You kind of don't run out of them, right? With the way your deck's yeah. built, you're going to always have some stuff, something to do, and you want the game to go along. They don't really want that. So, like, if you can make them use their resources on something of, of yours, of value instead of your face, I feel like you're just winning the game by a drastic amount by the time. If you make the deck do what it's not supposed to be doing, you know, make them play in a way that you don't want to play... 100%. And to their credit, you know, my Luris Burn opponents in the challenge both tried to do that. There's a, I played against uh, Jacob Bard, who's a, a Connecticut player, and, in like round three. And there was a turn where it was very clear they had a burn spell. Like I made a block that would, you know, let them make some trades, but it wasn't a great trade for them. Oh, uh, that was it. So they had, um, they, they were attacking with three prowess creatures of the one, two prowesses. I think it was two soul scars and a swift spear. They had one mana up. And my battlefield was Cruel Celebrant, Stitcher Supplier, Cartel Aristocrat. And I just triple blocked one of them. So if they go to, uh, you know, shock one of my creatures, I sack whatever creature they target to Cartel. Or if they sack, if they target Cartel, I sack whichever one I want, the, the Stitcher Supplier. And they have to order the other one, uh, you know, above, you know, they order the Cartel last, obviously. And they end up trading their Soulscar Mage and their Burn Spell for my Stitcher Supplier and my Cruel Celebrant. And I get a Drain off. And that's just not a good trade for them. And so they ended up just sending a Wizard's Lightning to my face. And letting their Cruel Celebrant just trade for my... Or letting my Cruel Celebrant yeah. trade for their Soulscar. So they still got the one foreign creature trade. But then their Burn Spell went to my face instead of trading for a Stitcher Supplier. Which is, you know, which is ideal. But then I, you know, still had two creatures in play. I think I cast like a three-point return to the ranks the next turn, and they're they're caught between a rock and a hard place because it turned out leaving that creature on the battlefield meant that my return had X equals one more, so it was worth an extra creature later on, which is also good. So it's one of the reasons the matchup is tough for them, and they need to get it done with quickly. 
Uh, and it's often not obvious exactly how to do that. Like how much burn they have to aim at creatures versus how much they have to aim upstairs because return to the ranks means creatures equal more creatures. Yeah, exactly. And some of the stuff has some life linker, you know, like some life gaining effect, which is really bad for them as well. All right, another question. Uh, what is, I know you kind of mentioned this, but let's be like very specific on it. What are some decks that you're worried about playing against and specific cards that like can kind of throw a wrench into what you're doing? I mean, the deck I'm worried about is certainly Lotus Breach. Uh, you know, you're a deck that plays very well when people are trying to kill creatures, and Lotus Breach just doesn't give a shit about that. <laughs> yeah, they could give two <laughs> shits, yeah. Yeah, so any deck that is trying to ignore killing your creatures is worrisome. Uh, or at least any deck that can. You know, Inverter can ignore, at least for some time, uh, which is why that deck's also scary, but the Yorian builds are so much worse at comboing off quickly that I still think they're good matchups. Uh, but Lotus Breach is the worst, and I, and I think, you know, the reason that you saw Abzan Rally do so well this last weekend is because this was the first weekend we saw Breach finally decline in numbers, because the rest of the metagame is helping to hate it out. And, and I actually went down to two damping series from my three the previous week, because I saw less, you know, Breach. Uh, so I thought, you know, maybe I can just hope to dodge it. And you know, I ran into it once, got a little lucky, won the matchup. Good job, me. Good and, job, uh, me. You know, uh, that that certainly helps when you're trying to win a Magic tournament. But it, it's I, I can't imagine a worse matchup than Lotus Breach structurally. Um, Inverter is scary. The other matchup I've struggled with is actually the um, Super Friends Fires deck. And I was super happy to see a lot of people switch on to Luka Fires for this last weekend. It's kind of one of the new hotness decks. Because they're trying to win by taking over the game with Agent of Treachery. And you're really good against Agent of Treachery. If you have Cartel Aristocrat in play and any other creature, like, they just have to take a land, which one of my opponents did in the tournament. I played that matchup three times. I didn't drop a game. Have, have you seen their new tech card for the sideboard for the matchups where Agent of Treachery isn't good? Void Winnower? They had that one, and for the aggressive decks, they have Abs Resolute, uh, Archangel. Resolute Archangel. Yeah, that one's really sweet. I, I watched Todd uh, go from 2 life to 20. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> with Resolute. Hard casting it, actually. It was his turn 7. It was a uh, scooter. Scooter and I play a lot of a uh, Warzone together, and you know we'll usually be playing that on one screen, and we'll have I'll have you know something up on my other screen. And I had like he goes, "Why does Todd have a Resolute Archangel in his hand right now?" I was like, "Oh, that thing's really cool. It's like this cool sideboard card, you know, just beats Lurus Burn and all this stuff." Because like they could give they don't give a shit about Agent of Treachery, you know, they don't care. Like, oh, you yeah. take you want to take my thing? Okay, kill you, you know. But when you when you gain fifteen life or you gain sixteen life, they don't win that game most often, you know. It's also just a 4-4 flyer after that, too. So, like, it's a big body. You know, it can end the game. Like, you know, it's a it, it's a, it's a sweet one for some of the cool stuff that, that happened this weekend. But really, none of their none of their big drops are very good against Rally. I think the best one is actually Void Winner, because your curve is pretty glutted at two. Because you can't but even. But it doesn't, like, yeah. you, you can cast Rally or Return at, you know, whatever X you need. So, it's still not that good. Right. So none of what their deck is doing is great, and they actually don't really clock you that well because they depend on agenting your good cards. Uh, I've mostly been worried about Gideon of the Trials against them because you don't have a lot of ways to take it off the battlefield. Oh, yeah, true. And this deck is pretty bad at attacking Planeswalkers, especially when that Planeswalker can shut down a large Fiend Artisan just by itself. Um, and they have a bunch of sweepers too. So that's been the, you know, the card that I've been most worried about. But outside of that, that matchup has felt so much better, whereas the Super Friends list plays like... You know, all the same Planeswalkers that are problematic, still a bunch of sweepers, it clocks you better, and then Jace Architect of Thought just 
you can't go tall against Gideon. You can't go wide against Jace. You they have a bunch of sweepers if you ever like you know try to do that. And then they all have graveyard hate in the sideboard. And it really is ultimately like graveyard hate. That's a big deal. Any deck that is overloaded on creature removal, like your plan is to beat them with Return of the Ranks and Rally. So right. if they pair that creature removal with Drafter's Cage, Rest in Peace, whatever, it's going to be a problem. But as it turns out, unlike in Modern, where everybody seems to have Nile Spellbomb and Soul Guide Lantern and Tormod's Crypt and, you know, what have you, there's not a lot of people playing Graveyard Hate in Pioneer, in large part because, like, you know, Lurus Burn and Lurus Auras, if you try to play Graveyard Hate early against them to sort of prepare for the eventual Lurus, they're going to run you over. And there isn't as many, you know, like, Uro decks like exist in Modern, Emery like exists in Modern, Dredge like exists in Modern. So there is an incidental value that your Graveyard Hate gains in other matchups. You know, the Yorian decks is, you know, it's laughable against them. So it's just not that valuable to play a lot of Graveyard Hate in Pioneer. So you don't see as much of it. And that is, you know, the other major factor that led to the eventual breakout weekend of Abzan Rally. You know, I lost four games in the challenge. One of them was my Mold of Four against Caleb playing Lotus Breach. And three of them were to unanswered Rest in Peace. <laughs> Those are my four game losses. And I beat Rest in Peace, you know, two or three other times. A couple times by answering it. Once I already had them below zero and I just needed to decay a Gideon. So when I drew my decay or trophy or whatever, you know, I killed the Gideon instead of the Rest in Peace. Um, and there might have been. Uh, against, uh, I answered it against the Burn deck in the finals. Those are two. There might have been a sixth game that Rest in Peace was involved in. So I actually played in rest, against Rest in Peace quite a bit. When you consider that, like, Breach, the Mirror, uh, the other Lurus Burn deck probably didn't have Rest in Peace, and the Inverter deck certainly didn't have Rest in Peace. So you're talking about max six decks that could have had Rest in Peace in the sideboard. And actually, the, the person I played twice, that Luca Fires deck, didn't have them. I saw, I saw their list. So four matchups where I played against Rest in Peace, and it got cast against me like six games. You know, I think quite a bit for that field, and I, I was still successful, which gives me hope that, you know, clearly we're going to see an uptick in that card in Grafter's Cage and what have you, uh, and that's going to be a problem. But you can definitely still succeed. You just have to prepare for it. And, yeah, it just kind of makes sense, right, If you, if you that this deck did this well this weekend. It's like I'm looking at all the other decks that people play, and I'm just seeing decks that are just trying to kill creatures a lot. Yeah. You know? Oh, and yeah. Everybody going to not Super Fence Fires and instead going to... Luca fires and a drop down in Lotus Breach and more Lurus Burn. Like it, it was just a a perfect storm. Little George Clooney, he was in that movie, right? No, that's uh, I think it's who's hold on, who's the guy in the perfect storm? It's it's uh, God, I I I can see this. It's not George Clooney. It's well, it is George Clooney. I'm thinking Mark Wahlberg. Wahlberg is actually in the movie as well. Fuck you, you're making me think I'm wrong. Well, I was thinking of the. I just remember the commercials for the movie and seeing Wahlberg. Not uh, was Mark Wahlberg in that movie too? Yeah, yeah, and not seeing Clooney, you know, kind of thing. So I like how I'm like unsure that Mark that Clooney is in the movie, but I can tell you with like absolute certainty that the true story that it's based on happened in 1993 in Gloucester, Massachusetts. Oh, okay. I know that. Yeah, but sure. Somehow don't couldn't remember who was in the movie. Does he still act? Is he still an active actor? George Clooney. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I assume he does. Looking up. Look his, at his IMDb page. I am right now. I pull it up. Give me a minute. Uh, he was in something in a TV miniseries in 2019. He's barely acting. Yeah, he's not really acting anymore. 
He's probably just like off doing stuff with his wife. Just yeah, he's being, also, he does know, have some upcoming projects. Like it looks like he has an upcoming movie or something. But yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just he's he's busy being a entire like entirely too rich, successful movie star somewhere in the country. Yeah, I mean, he clearly you know never has to work again. So he gets he's he's at the point where like you know he's so famous and so wealthy. That he literally doesn't have to ever do something he absolutely, you know, unless he absolutely wants to do it. You know, I, I forget this sometimes. Dude, he was Batman, like, forever was, ago. He was a horrible Batman. Okay. I I don't know if that's fair, because that movie was horrible. Yeah. Was was that the one where the Batsuit had nipples on it? Yeah. And they had the close-up of the, the butts and the nipples and the Batsuit. And, like, that's the one where he makes the MasterCard joke or whatever. He's, like... It was truly the... It was far and away the worst one. He has, like, the Bat credit card. And he's, like, never leave the cave without it and stuff. And Oh, my God. It was so bad. That's the one I, where, like... I remember I, I went with my brother to see that in theaters because I was, like... You know, I was like 1999 or so. so yeah. You know, I'm like, you know, 10. About to pick. Uh, about to, almost 11. About to check. Go ahead. My, my brother was would have been, you know, in his teens. He's like four or four. He's four and a half years older than I am. So, like, you know, that's about the time where my brother is old enough that my mom can trust him with me in a movie theater. Granted, she did it once when I was really young and it didn't go so well. 1997. Because Perfect oh, Storm was, uh, when, when did you say it actually, the movie, was it based off? When did it happen? The original story is 1993. Oh, it's the perfect storm happened in the movie happened in two thousand. So. The movie is two thousand, yeah. Uh, but the you're telling me Batman and Robin is ninety seven. When was Batman Returns? I thought uh, Batman Returns was ninety seven and Batman and Robin was ninety nine. So this was the fourth one, right? Because it was the yeah. Val Kilmer before it was Val Keaton, Kilmer Keaton. Was, was or not? Uh, was not Batman. Batman Returns is the one with Michelle Pfeiffer and, and Danny DeVito. Yeah. Uh, the one with Jim Carrey and Val Kilmer was. Um, That's the one of yeah Jim Batman Carrey forever. Yeah, Batman Forever. I actually like that one. So that that one is like, you know, if you view it in a really like, you know, film snob, objective lens, it's not a good movie. But it's bad in the ways that endear you to the Batman franchise. It's campy. Yeah, I actually liked the villains in the movie. I thought Jim Carrey was pretty good as yeah. a Riddler. I thought... Uh, Jim Carrey's performance is actually good, I think. I think that one you you can accept. But like, Falcon is like, not a very good Batman. The, you know, it's it's corny. But Batman is supposed to be corny. Like that's that's the point. It depends. You have to you have to fully you have to go one way or the other. You can't you can't make part of it serious and part of it real yeah. campy. And Batman and Robin, I think, tried to build on that, but really failed. Because the original Batman is not corny at all. Like Batman from nineteen eighty nine or whatever. You know the, the first the one Keaton with, one with uh, with Michael Keaton. Yeah, that one we is talked about earlier in the founder. Yeah, that one is very serious. I've actually never seen that one. I've seen the other I've, three. From the pre-Chris Nolan years. What? I've, I've seen the other three, but not that one. Yeah, with Jack Nicholson as the Joker. Yeah. You've never yeah. seen that movie? No, I've never seen it. Okay, don't watch Sherlock tonight. Watch that instead. Watch Batman. <laughs> watch that instead? Yeah, it's, okay. it's, it's amazing. Like, Yeah, I've heard I've heard that one is good, and I've heard Jack Nicholson's Joker is really good. And obviously we get, like, have you it ever... gets kind of forgotten now because of Heath Ledger yeah. and um what's his face jared leto and and uh joaquin phoenix the, yeah. yeah joaquin phoenix who, who the fuck cares about jared leto yeah the fucking suicide squad movie is so bad that movie is actually awful just yeah. so heinously bad i i cannot cannot express how mad i am that i have seen that movie mad it's ross it's so bad that they're making a sequel 
that is that is actually just a reboot, and they're gonna have like a lot of the same actors and stuff. But they were like, we're just not gonna act like that existed. That didn't actually I'm, happen. I'm mad. Yeah. yeah so, story time. Story time. It almost killed a franchise. Anyway, I can continue. So the, it, it came out shortly after I moved to Roanoke. Sure. Uh, I think it was that it was that summer. Sure. Because I know uh, it was the year that Cedric was here in Roanoke, and you know I got a call one day. You know I can't. I don't know what day of the week it was because you know. I don't live on a real schedule and I was bored and I just got like a call from Todd saying that like he and Cedric are going to see Suicide Squad the movies and I was like god I do not want to see a superhero movie but I'm also really bored and I kind of want to hang out with people so I'll go and I went and I saw it with them and it apparently at one point I fell asleep the movie was it's an action movie there's explosions I just fell asleep it was so stupid and like it was storing and I didn't realize it. Like, I, did, I had no idea. And, and like, Cedric told me about it afterwards. And apparently he, like, live-tweeted about how I was asleep in the movie. He found it hilarious. And, like, it was just the worst movie. I cannot believe anyone would even write it. It made, like, there was just no plot. Like, th- like it was a bunch of, like, disparate events that just happened. And there was no way to link them together. And I just didn't care at all not that like I started caring and eventually stopped. I never even started caring. Like they had to rope me in, and it never happened. It was just, it was so bad. You hate superhero movies in general, right? Just, just to be yeah, fair. Yeah, I don't, I don't want, I don't, I don't want to say I hate them, but I'm over them. Okay. You know, I've watched so many of them in the 2000s because the genre kind of started like early 2000s. Yeah. Spider Man and X Men. Yeah. And then we had the Chris Nolan Batman movies, and like Dark Knight got all this press. And, like, I, I went and saw Dark Knight in theaters, and it was really good, and I enjoyed it. And after that, I, it was after that that I just kind of said, like, I don't think it gets better than this. And, like, maybe it does, but, like, in order for me to see the movie that is better than this, I would have to watch a bunch of movies that are worse than this. And it's getting out of hand, and I was just kind of done with it. You know, that's when, like, Iron Man was starting, and they started doing the whole Marvel Universe. And then they rebooted X-Men, and they were doing the Wolverine movies with Hugh Jackman, and... You know, they rebooted Spider-Man again, and then they rebooted Superman, and also the fucking Batman versus Superman movie. God, it's awful. Deadpool, I've seen that one. That one's horrible, and everyone liked that one. It's just And funny. I get that, like, it's just him funny, being yeah. be that way is, like, what the comic book is about, too, but that's also not funny. All that tells me is that the comic book sucks, too. So, it really... But none of them. They all just pale in comparison to the steaming pile of dog shit. That is Suicide Squad. And I cannot state this enough. I cannot state it more vociferously. Holy shit, is that movie awful. I am mad it exists, and I'm even more mad that I was tricked into seeing it. You know what I like about this? This was like a perfect college paper. You had like a thesis, like with a subject, right? You stated originally, you're like, this movie sucks. Let me tell you why. Then you had your body. You know, you talked about it. You gave examples. You cited your sources. You gave other examples. But then you kept you kept saying, like, this one's still worse. This one's still worse. And then at the very end, you restated the thesis, but with a little extra vigor. You know, like, the steaming pile. You know, Just such- as formulaic as Suicide Squad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was a performance art piece. You just you just broke me with that. I'm sorry. I can't even. <laughs> I'm trying to be serious. I'm I'm done. <laughs> it's so bad. Uh, how do I even go? Like, where do we even go from here? How do I get back? Like, how do I bring us back to talking about? I magic? don't know. We're we're supposed to be talking about Absent Rally. What else you want to know, Tannen? Okay, so I will say this. So Lotus breached last week. 
Alexander Elliott this week, huge, huge breakouts, right? Yeah. Where do we go from here? I mean, I think that an inverter, maybe even just 60-card inverter would be good, to be honest. Because I think if you try to come back inverter right now, you're going to lose to Agent of Treachery. Okay. Because they're, they're much more Planeswalker-heavy. Demir Inverter is just going to be, you know, super sleek. They're going to, you know, invert you or whatever. And you're just not going to care. Or they're going to look at you and you're just not going to care while you combo them f- so frequently. I kind of like 60-card Inverter for this week. Uh, that's kind of, that's my metagame deck. Uh, but also, like, a good Yorian deck with a strong sideboard for Rally. I think the Yorian decks can adapt to the matchup. You know, even the Luka versions or, you know, the Heliod versions. If you have, you know, three or four rest in pieces and maybe something else, um, you know, you know, figure out the matchup. I, I don't know exactly what you need, but it's, it starts with a good number of rest in pieces. Minimum two, probably more like three or four. Uh, you know, that would also be good. Um, I also... Think if you find a good build of the Luris John slash Golgari deck, which uh, has peaked it, you know, around, um, but plays like Scavenging Ooze and some main deck Soul Guide Lanterns, I think that matchup's you know good against Rally. I lost my when I was three one in the Lotus Box event. My loss was to Aspiring Spike playing Golgari Luris. Um, so they just have like you know reasonable graveyard hate. Good removal, can grind and play a fair game against any matchup. Good disruption. They have four thought seizes. They play uh, unbridled growth. Uh, just enchantment that cycles. So it's easy to get in your graveyard for delirium and really good with Luris to just draw extra cards like Mishra's Bauble. You know, costs one mana, so not quite as good as Bauble, but this is Pioneer, so that's fine. I think that deck, if you find the right build of it and know how to play it really well, has potential. Um, but that that's where I'm looking at for this week. I'm a little bit scared to play Absent Rally, though fortunately I'm kind of I kind of have a modern heavy week this week because the Lotus Box event is going to be modern. I'm going to play the modern challenge the day before to prep. So I think I'm going to be focusing myself more on modern so I get to sit back and watch how people uh, react to Absent Rally before I have to figure out what else I, what I want to do. Uh, which is a nice luxury to have. But those are three uh, avenues that I would explore if I was trying to attack this metagame and didn't really have a deck I was comfortable with. Fair. I'd probably just play the cycling deck. It looks really cool. That deck also looks cool, and I think it can... I think that deck... I haven't played against it, so I couldn't tell you with any... with a high degree of certainty, but, you know, a deck with a lot of counter spells, a little bit of removal, and the ability to just kill you out of nowhere... You know, within like an end step Zenith Flare, you untap, attack for a small amount of damage, flare you again. If they made like, a, you know, a Shark or a Nimble Obstructionist the turn before. That, that's scary. I, it's definitely scary for me because I don't have a, a lot of good ways to get through counter spells. There just aren't a lot, you know, around in the format. I've seen people talk about Azorius Control now. Yeah, it actually did pretty well over the weekend. Um, a lot of people are adapting Sharknado quite a bit in that deck, a lot of Shark Typhoon. Yeah, that, I mean that's just a good. It's just a good magic card. Yeah, like we talked about this, and I was like, when your when your floor is decree of justice, but like you could have a, a higher ceiling as well, and it's blue. Like you don't have to, you know, play another color or whatever for it if you don't want. I think this is a card that's gonna, you know, we're gonna see this a lot. It's it's doing very well in standard right now, obviously. And any deck that has fires in it, you just and it has blue mana, you just want that kind of card. 
Yeah, the, the fire is Luka decks play four. Yeah, well, you it's get around. It's just a creature token that you can make for the Luka. Mm-hmm. They're just playing four. Um, so, yeah. yeah, no, Shark Typhoon is definitely making its way. Terror Reed is going to be in some sort of magic movie, I'm sure. Is it Making Waves in, in Pioneer? Is that too, too spot on? No? Ross is just shaking his head at me. Okay, cool. I went. I went. You went with the low hanging fruit pun. I went with the taking a cheap shot at Tara Reed. Oh, she's yeah. definitely going to be in a magic movie, right? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if she was like the Wanderer or something in like in the yeah. magic Netflix series or whatever. But you it's going to be animated, like the, right? They'll make some sort of crossover with with Sharknado somehow, and you know, because that's what magic is doing. I guess we're just going to cross magic into every other. Let's fandom. be real. Let's be real. It's not going to be Sharknado. They're going to get American Pie. That's gonna be the the first. That's gonna be their next. <laughs> is that the next block? <laughs> what? What's, they're in some like Minnesota town. Yeah, it's some high school East, in like East Great Falls. Was that it? I think that's it. Some high school rural American. Yeah. Thing and something like yeah, the, the Freaks and Geeks set. Like the, Dude, the I would be here for a Freaks and like Geeks. The, set. the 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 go to artifact from the set, like the egg or whatever from the set, is gonna be a keg. You know, it's, it's like <laughs> empty keg, full keg. Like you know, there'd be like the whole yeah. the whole string of them or whatever, but. I don't know. Somehow anyway. you like play lacrosse in the middle of a game. I don't know. Yeah, you just get up, start playing. Oh God! It's like uh, this is an unset. We've we've officially created the next unset. Actually, I think here none of those actors have been in anything recently. Like Allison Hannigan hasn't been in anything since How I Met Your Mother, but she's probably set. You know, between Buffy and How I Met Your Mother, I'm sure there are royalty checks. Yeah, coming she in. makes a lot. What's his, What's the main guy's name? Jason. Uh, Josh Radner. No, wait. Oh no, you're talking about American Pie. Yes. Yeah, I was talking about How I Met Your Mother. I got yeah. um, oh uh, Jason Biggs. Yeah, he's he randomly has a new show like every year, and they they don't make it or whatever. So. Yeah, he was well, he was on Orange Is the New Black for like two years. That's true. That's true. He was the worst character by a lot, and they wisely just you know got rid of them. Mm-hmm. I'm so, looking up. Uh, apparently, it was like they basically used like they centered the early seasons around Taylor Schilling's character. Obviously, like you know she wrote the memoir, but the point of the show was apparently to focus on everybody else. And so they like you know pitched it, focusing on her, and did the early seasons around her with the idea that they would always transition away, and that's what they did. Okay, um, so I used to watch that show, and I didn't finish it like my wife did. And it, it's there's a long series of shows. Uh, it's like that one and a couple other ones where I've come to hate the main character and found myself oh, yeah. actively rooting against them or just not caring at all what happens to them anymore. And so the show the show kind of gets ruined for me. Well, you, you have to realize that like. You know, she was never supposed to be the main character. She just had to be for the first season for the show to get picked up. Right. But it's just like, you know what I mean? You're, you're supposed to, like, care about this main character. And people are like, oh, yeah, she's great. Or I'm like, she's a terrible person. Like, Yeah, they, like, uh, they did some weird, like, they tried to, like, you know, change her when they were doing the whole, like, panty-selling business arc. And it just was like, this doesn't, like, make sense. Like, she, they tried to, like, Breaking Bad her. And it just didn't work. And then they, like, eventually, like, turned away. And I don't know if that was the plan the entire time. Or she, like, realized, like, I shouldn't be doing this. I do realize I do realize that our podcast has become more today a TV and movie critic, <laughs> yeah. critic show. That's perfectly than, fine. That's fine. It's fine. You actually won a tournament this weekend with a cool new-ish deck that we should be talking a lot about. Instead, we're talking about, like, filmographies and stuff, which is fine, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I agree. At least like, we're aware of it. Her At least we're aware was always horrible. And, you know, you know... No, you shouldn't have cared about her at all. And, uh, but honestly, like, there are plenty of shows where the main character is just the worst, and you just don't care about them at all. 
actually, it's a rule. That's my rule for a good sitcom because the main character is always supposed to be the straight man. So the main character ever tries to like be too funny, that, that's a problem, right? You know, in all the best sitcoms, it's the main character that's the straight man. It's like you know Seinfeld. Uh, even in like Cheers, Sam Malone is basically the straight man. Um, you get less of that out of Alan Alda and Mash. Um, in Frasier, you get a little bit less of it, but Frasier is also just really fucking annoying. And the best characters in that show are everyone around him. You know, it's all Roz, Daphne, uh, Martin, and Niles. Um, so when, like, Kelsey Grammer tries to be funny, it just doesn't work. Um, and then, but he was just too arrogant to not try to be. Uh, everybody loves Raymond. That's a good example. You know, he, that's, that's a good example of Ray Romano realizing his limitations and just letting everybody else be great. Because everybody around him was so good. Especially Doris Roberts and um, who plays the dad? He was in. He was Young Frankenstein with Mel Brooks, Peter Boyle, um, like his, his parents and Everbill as Raymond. They're fucking hilarious. So um, just absolutely hilarious. I've never seen an episode of the show. Uh, Everybody loves Raymond. Just it seems like the kind of show I would not like. I mean, it's a basic sitcom except Peter Boyle and Doris Roberts and Brad Garrett. All three of them are great. I was about to get there. I have a Brad Garrett story. You've uh, Oh, he plays a lot of poker, so you've probably met him? Uh, I mean, it probably wouldn't be this way anywhere, but I used to be on first-name basis with Brad Garrett. Uh, I used to play in the same game as him when I lived in Vegas for a while. There was this game that um, every now and then would come together, and it was in the old poker room. They have a new one now at uh, Caesar's Palace. And uh, does the name Jamie Gold mean anything to you? He won the 2006 World Series of Poker, the yeah, largest it was, ever held. It was the biggest one ever. $12 million. Yeah, it was the biggest one ever. Um, there, there's a lot that can be said about Jamie Gold, right? Not particularly good. Uh, I mean, obviously he's good enough, right? Like, yeah, he's good enough, but like relative to you know, you know, nobody would mistake him for the elite of the elite. Right. Let's put it this way: anytime I could get into a cash game with him, I tried very hard to get into that game. Um, and it's not just because of him; like the effect that he has on the game is big. He's very good for the game. Have you ever heard that phrase, right? Yeah, he, he he gets the action flow and gets the chips moving. Yeah, he. if you think I talk a lot, good lord, that man never stops talking. But, um, so one day I walk in the, the poker room at Caesars, and the oh, old poker on. room... I need to stop. I need to stop you for a second, just to tell the audience that, like, you have to understand exactly what that means, because Tannen actually never stops talking. So when he says that, uh, I'm not even sure, like, how... It gets more extreme. Like it's not physically possible for someone's jaw to move that much. Yeah, exactly. So, like it would get t- mine would get tired. Um, so like the poker room, it was really cool. It's it's easier. It used to be like kind of hidden. You had to like walk down this like hallway. And it was like into this like you know big. It, it was kind of like you know when you play in the Valley Forge Casino, how like you come around this corner and then it just like opens up into this big room, and you're like, well, I wasn't expecting that kind of thing. It was like that. I thought they before, didn't like, have poker, poker at the Valley Forge Casino. Say it again. I thought they didn't have poker at the Valley No, I'm saying when we played, like, Magic, sorry. Like, when you, you go... Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah so, well, you're coming down the stairs, and then you... Yeah, but you're not really... Around. Yeah, you're not really expecting it. It's kind of like that. You see this, you know, sign, it's like, poker room, it's like a little hall, you walk down there or whatever. Anyway, I get in there, and, like, I'm waiting for my game, and one game just is really loud, right? Like, I can hear it from across the room, and you usually... You, those are the kind of games you want to play in, you know what I mean? You want to be the lively, lively game. The you don't want to go least, any, it's going to be fun. Yeah, you don't want to sit... high in, floor. 
I don't want to sit in a game with like seven or eight other me's that's just sitting there like paying attention to everything, looking at their Watching phone. Watching baseball on your phone, headphones in. Yeah. Raise, check, fold. Yeah, you just look around, everybody's got their iPad out or whatever. They have their headphones in and they're watching Netflix in between hands or whatever. And it's just like, I don't want to play against these guys. But anyway, so being really like loud. So I walk over there and Jamie Gold and Brad Garrett are just in this game with some other people, right? And there was one other person I was like, I should recognize this person, but I don't, you know, kind of thing. And I'm not going to be like, hey, who are you? You know, kind of thing. So <laughs> I go talk to the floor and I get I get put in that game. I do pretty well. Um, but, I, you know, I talk, uh, it was funny. Jamie talked a lot, but he actually gave up a little bit of the talking to Brad because Brad is actually hilarious. Like, you know, you may not like his comedy on the show, but he's, he's actively very funny. He's also just actively great on that show. Yeah. He's also just a very large human being. I have a picture with yeah. him. I'm like, like six, six feet four. tall and I... Yeah, I'm like six feet tall and I look short next yeah. to him. I mean, that was a point of, of emphasis on the show was him being, you know, tall and a large man. Yeah. I remember at one point, like, the uh, you know, Marie is, is the character's name for their mother. Brad and, and Ray are brothers on the show. Uh, like, I, I can't remember. She, like, ironed his pants or got him new pants for his job. He's a police officer. And, like, he walks in and, it, like, she can't understand, like, why he's upset about them. And he, he walks in with, like, his glum look that he always has. And they're just, like, six inches too short. Like, just comically short. And you could just, like, you could, he's wearing white socks, like, yeah. glaring there. And she goes, like, what? It's, it, it's good to show a little sock. <laughs> just looks, a lot of it, I think, w- with good actors, a lot of it is just in the face. And Brad Garrett, in particular, has really good facial expressions. Yeah. Oh, Very expressive yeah. with his face. So, like, you know, I asked to get put in the game or whatever. And I play for a while. I do okay. Um, it was really funny. Like, I can't remember too many specifics. I just knew that if I was in a hand with Jamie, I didn't say a word. I just refu- I refused to play into his game of, like, you know, he's trying to, like, pump you for information, trying to, like, do whatever. Because it's the same reason why when I would play poker, I'm one of two things. I either never stop talking or I don't talk at all. Right? And there's, there's you know, there's a lot to it. You know, it's a psychological game as well. You're trying to get people to kind of, like, throw them off their game, whatever. There's I could write a book about this. Anyway. So whenever I'd play against him... I just, like, wouldn't say anything. I would just, like, look at the board and, and play my hand. Like, I wouldn't even look at him. Like, you know, just, like, whatever. Like, let him let him figure it out. When I was playing in a pot with Brad Garrett or in a pot when Brad Garrett was, like, going off, I would have to put headphones in because I would just start con- uncontrollably laughing in the middle of hands. And I'm, like, trying to focus, you know, and play or whatever. So um, I did pretty well in the game. I remember when I left, uh, I, I said this earlier, like, you know, I talked to the floor. For people who don't know, the floor is like the manager of the poker room who you talk to. You're like, hey, I want to play. These are the games I want to play. The pit boss? Yeah, it's like the pit boss. They don't call it that. But yeah, it's the same thing. The pit boss for like, you know, any of the games in the pit, right? Um, so when I left, I walked up to the to the floor and I was like, because um, the game finally broke after like 13 hours or something. I don't remember. But at the end of it, almost everyone in the game is like, you know, hey, same time tomorrow. Like, everybody playing tomorrow? And everybody's like, yeah, yeah. Like, sure. And, and I was like, cool. I'll be here tomorrow or whatever. So I left. And I went up to the floor. And I think I handed him, like, 40 bucks or something. I can't remember. Maybe I handed him a couple of green chips, which were, like, $25 or whatever. And I was just like, hey, here's my name. He's like, okay. I'm like, here's my phone number. He's like, okay. I was like, if this game fires tomorrow, call me immediately and hold me a seat. And then I will give you this again when I get here. And he was like, Okay. And so the next day, I got a phone call. Got my, got my car immediately. Went to the thing. Did it. Did pretty all right again. Um, you know, hung out with Brett. There's a little bit more to the story. So uh, it's like a week goes by, and I'm at a different casino. I'm at like the Bellagio or something, right? And I'm playing, and it's a little later at night. And um, this is this game's good. This game that I'm playing, another lively game. Um, I think there's like five people there that are at a bachelor party together. We're having some drinks, having some shots. 
Bachelor party sounds like just fucking fish in a barrel. I'm I destroyed them. <laughs> like, yeah. like it was bad. They're, I ran. You know they're tanked. You know they're having a good time. They don't give a fuck how much money they spend. Like they, there was a couple factors. Like I ran really good. Also, there was one guy who like he might have been the good player of the group or something. You know what I'm saying? And he like took it seriously, but he always had second best against me. Which is like the the ideal thing because he started like you know I'm gonna get this guy again. Yeah, just kept buying. Yeah. I just I, I busted him. In. I think I busted him five times, like literally like five times. <laughs> like I murdered. I like I think I think I left you ruined up, his bachelor party. Dude, you ruined his night. I think I left up like nine buy-ins or something. Just something absurd. Like I remember I took the next day off. I went and got a nice steak or something. You know, like that, <laughs> yeah. that kind of day. Get a but, massage. <laughs> yeah, but we're all being like pretty. And like here's the thing. Um, I would almost never drink. At, while I was playing, but if the whole table's doing it, I'm going to have a few, right? And, like, at the time, I was a little bit more of a partier. I was a little bit younger. I could handle my liquor a little bit better, so I could have a few, right? And I'm not going to lie, I I, I, there, I was not above slipping $5 to the cocktail waitress or waiter and being like, hey, water mine down, or, like, bring mine without alcohol, you know, if we're just getting, like, hammered. But, you know, we're doing just thoughts or whatever, so we're having fun, and my table's pretty loud and ovacious or whatever, and we're all on, like, first-name basis talking. And I get up to go use the bathroom, and on the way back, I hear, hey, Tannen, and I turn, and it's just Brad Garrett just sitting there at the table, right? And he's just sitting at another table. I don't recognize anybody at the table, but, you know, uses my first name. I walk over. His gorgeous girlfriend, I guess, is sitting next to him. You know, this is just unbelievably good-looking blonde is sitting next to him, right? You know, just one of the ones, like, more people are looking at her than looking at Brad, right? Yeah. Or whatever. And we just sit there and talk, and he's like, hey, man, I, I got a question. And I was like, cool. And he's like, hey, I had, you know, this hand happened. Like, you know, he does the whole hand history thing. You know, like when you tell someone a magic story or a bad piece, you know, yeah. you tell the whole thing. He recreates. He's like, it's Sunday. I had a big breakfast, so I'm feeling, you know, it just gives me, <laughs> yeah. it gives me every detail possible, right? My opponent is like a, a dusty blonde. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> just, they part to the left. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just every detail possible, right? He's like, he, he bet with his left hand on this hand, his right hand, you know, just every detail. And so I just like talk with him and, um, you know, I listen to his hand history and I talk to him about a hand or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then afterwards, I'm just like, hey, look, just just so you know, or whatever, blah, blah. I was like, you know, we've, we've played for like 30 hours together, blah, blah. I'm like, stop folding so much or something, you know, just something like that. He's like, what? I'm like, you're so scared of being wrong. This kind of ties into earlier. I'm like, you're so scared of being wrong if you're not playing enough hands or whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I get it if you're like, you're newer to the game, like you don't want to mess up. That's cool. But like, you're getting to, I'm like, he's like, he's like, is that something that's exploitable? I'm like, oh, I took advantage of you multiple times when we played together. You know, I was like, like, I just knew you could not have the nuts in the situation, so I would just raise you. And then you you don't have the nuts, so you can't call. You know, like, kind of situation. He's like, oh, I didn't think about that. And I'm like, yeah, like, you know, well, you, you get what I'm saying? Like, we had this long conversation. And what I didn't realize is we're only, like, a table or two away from my table. And then I turn back to go to my table, and everyone's just watching. Right? And they're all just like, what the hell? And I go sit down, and everybody's, like, real quiet. And they're like, who the hell are you? <laughs> yeah. Why are you talking to Brad yeah. Garrett? You're he's giving like, him advice. Yeah, he's like called me over my he first said name. He you used your first name. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm like, there's a were you on a show? Were you in a movie? Like, are you a producer? Like, that's what happened. One of them's like, who are you? And I was like, oh, he and I used to work together back. I just like you know made some joke. I was like, and one guy's like, I knew I'd seen you on TV or whatever. Because <laughs> yeah, like, like, I have one of those yeah, faces, like you know that like. Oh yeah, yeah. I I could if you told me that you had done like you know a few guest spots on sitcoms in the two thousands, like I would one hundred percent believe you. Yeah. Uh, you know, to this day, you could tell me that uh, you know right now. You'd be like, that's where you disappeared for those few years where no one knew where you were yeah. going. Yeah, yeah. I actually had a friend who was in. It was an extra on How I Met Your Mother. Oh really? Uh, yeah. Um, well, sort of like a, it was a friend of a friend. Um, and I can't, I, I, I know who they're a friend through. I can figure out which episode, but it, it was funny watching it. Cause I was like, I've seen that guy. Uh, and it was like the first time where you actually like 
actually see an extra. Most of the time, you know, they're just a blank face and you kind of glance at them. But, you know, when you actually recognize them, it's kind of weird. But, yeah. Oh, I, and, and they're also, you know, half in the bag when they're seeing this. So, like, their minds are, you know, automatically going to the most extreme. Like, you know, what were they on some TV show with him? You know, I probably would have gone with, you know, like, I worked on, you know, Everybody Loves Raymond or something. Yeah. Like, you know, I was behind the scenes. You know, I was a showrunner or something. I was the co-producer, you know, something, yeah. you know. I, I brought him coffee. He's great to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why you made me think of this, but do you remember the scene in How I Met Your Mother where um, I think it's like season two where Ted and Robin are, are dating and they bring champagne to the table during Valentine's Day or whatever. And there's a ring in her glass and she freaks out and she says like 37 no's. She goes, no, 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 or whatever. You know, she freaks out and he's like, that's when they break up or whatever because he realizes they have a shelf life or whatever, blah, blah, yeah. blah. But then there's the couple behind and the guy like, it's an extra, but he actually has a line where he's like, no, that that's actually mine. And he, he takes the ring and he like proposes to his girlfriend. Did you know that's 100% real? And she did not know that was happening. She thought they were on the show as extras. That's how he proposed to his wife. I wish y'all wow. could. See, I wish y'all could see Ross's face right now. It's pretty great, but that is legit, one hundred percent. Like that take made it into the show. Everything. I'm so. I think if you're gonna go for the like the public or semi-public, and this is like both semi-public and extra public. Real quick, uh, my wife told me if I ever did anything like that, she'd fucking kill me. All right, continue. Yeah, yeah. You know, you have to be super confident. One. In two things. One, that you're going to get the yes. Yeah. And two, that your partner is happy that you're doing it in that way. Like, you have to be, over, like, out of this world confident that you're doing it that way. And personally, like, the, I even, I would even struggle with doing that if my partner wanted something like that. Yeah, because I can see that. I have, I'm uncomfortable doing yeah. something so personal in such a public setting. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to. Honestly, like, yeah. like, I think I could do it. Like, it wouldn't, like, I, I don't have a problem talking in front of people. You know, like, I, I did a, I did a, a Hearthstone thing where we talked over a million people over the span of a week. And I was like, that gets you, that gets you in, into the comfort zone of being able to, like, you know, whatever. Oh, yeah. But definitely could do it. Yeah, I think, I think she would have killed me, you know, if I, like, she literally told me. And I, I agree with what you said, but at the same time, it's one of those things. It's like, if you're worried about them saying yes or no, you probably shouldn't be proposing. Cause like most couples talk about it. They like, you know what I mean? We, we, you know, oh, yeah. you might be surprised when the moment of it happening, you don't know if that's what's happening that day. Like, you know, surprising your, your future wife is like, it's a part of the thing, but like you kind of know, you know what I mean? Like my wife and I had talked about it for a long time. You know that it's going to happen. Yeah. Like we knew, like my wife and I knew we were going to like, you know, get married. In fact, I put it off for quite a while for like multiple reasons. Like it was funny. There was one weekend where I was going to do it and her best friend got engaged like two days before. So I had to, I had to change it. <laughs> it's like you fucking pieces of shit. Yeah. I will murder both of yeah. you. And then like, uh, I think my mom got really sick. Once, like something else serious happened. So like, I was like, oh, I'll do it a few weeks from now. And then it, like, it got pushed again. And I was like, man, this really, really. So like one day I was just like, screw this. The I'm just doing it. against me. Yeah. yeah. I was like, screw it. I'm, I just had the ring for like a while. And I was like, what am yeah. I going to do with this thing? I had to hide eventually it. She's going to stumble across it in my underwear drawer. Oh, uh, I eventually just gave it to her mother and they kept it in the safe at their house and i was like i will come get it yes <laughs> so that's a that's a that's a good call yeah um yeah it was uh it was a, it was a good day though i, I here, hope so. <laughs> here, here's the funny part so i'm decent at talking right you know like i'll always been, a, i'd say so always been pretty decent. i fumbled so bad <laughs> like i was so nervous that like i forgot to breathe uh <laughs> you know i did it 
I did it speaking and doing in sign, and I was very bad at sign. I'm still very bad, but I was way worse back then oh, yeah. at sign language. So I was like making sure I got that right and stuff, and it was it was not pretty. I'm sure your sloppy sign language is very endearing. Oh God, it's oh you want to know something that is actually cute with that? So you know how like when babies are learning to speak, they babble, you know, like baby babble. They they say words, but they're not actually words. It's like weird syllables and stuffs like combined and stuff. Blah blah. So, um. You, you can babies can start signing before they can talk you can you can get motor function like they have the mental ca- capacity to understand language but they don't yeah. have like the speech part down right but they can get their motor skills are somewhat developing before that so they can start to sign beforehand right the funny part is, is it's a fine motor skill so they're not as good at it as they should be so babies doing sign language is like the cutest thing in the world because there's baby babble with sign language where they mess it up a little bit and it's just like it's so so cute is it is like forming your mouth to create very distinct sounds is that not also a fine motor skill no that's what i'm saying i think it i think that's what like they why it takes a while they're related in that sense they they know what they're trying to say like they understand like they understand who like mama dada is like they understand food you know i think one of the first signs most kids learn is more because they're like yo i want i want more (laughs) like give me more or whatever, or yes and no, which are all very, very cute signs, by the way. Especially with little bitty baby hands. But anyway, God, my ovaries hurt. I want kids. But uh, <laughs> you're just in, you're in baby fever right now. Oh yeah, we're gonna start trying really soon, actually. So oh, yeah. there, you may have to. There may be some points in time where you may have to have a guest uh, podcaster for a little while. <laughs> I might either be too tired or too busy. Yeah, that is true. We're gonna just have, make we're sure. Gonna have to figure that out. I'm gonna have to make sure they're just a little bit worse than I am. Like they can't be. Like, if they're better than me, they can be so much better than me that it's noticeable. Can they be more attractive than you? That's not possible. Uh, I was thinking about getting Brennan, but... Okay, well, that, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't... I'll do, look, we already said this. I wasn't actually a movie star. I just worked in the movies, so I can't beat an actual movie star. Yeah, you just got Brennan coffee every morning. Yeah, exactly. I was the, the, the gopher. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now you're on a first-name basis. You know, eventually got on his magic team. You know? <laughs> Uh, yeah, some people don't realize that's why I won so much at team events. I just got to cheat. I had a, had a great team every event. You know? I got to live Brennan the dream. Is one, Brennan is one of those like secret sickos. Yeah. There's all there's always like you know, in every generation there's secret sickos, and Brennan is definitely one of the secret sickos. If you know, if you're in the know, like if you're in the like the people, like people knew, but like, oh, you yeah. know, it was a small group, but they knew. Like years ago, the secret sicko was Dave Shields. Yeah, I remember that. He, he doesn't play really anymore. Uh, occasionally, I'll see him play a team event with like Matt Costa and Adam Snick. But Dave Shields, and it's why uh, you know, uh, I always found Melissa DeTora's Proto Top 8 kind of bittersweet because, you know, there are so many positive implications with, with her topping the Proto being the first woman. And, you know, it's great. And she's a great player, certainly deserved it. But she beat Dave Shields in her winning it. And it was really unfortunate that the two of them had to meet in that match because I would have loved for, to see both of them in that top eight. You know, they were definitely two of my horses. And I hated, you know, you know, I couldn't root against either of them in that match. Um, and, and, you know, I, I knew how much Dave wanted it. Uh, and Dave was, you know, was an excellent player for so long. Uh, just, you know, uh, you know, an unfortunate situation there, both from the same region, too. You know, we're, yeah. we're PTQ and bosses in the, say, mid-2000s. There's a little while while Dave, where Dave was in San Diego. But uh, yeah, definitely, you know, you saw them around PTQs in New England and, you know, 2004 to 2008. I'm really happy that you mentioned uh, Adam Snook in there. Yeah, uh, I don't know if he does anymore, but I know at one point in time he was a an avid listener of our show, and he'd be like, "What the hell?" <laughs> you know, like why did why did I just get randomly brought up here? Or oh, I'm, I'm sure Snook still listens, especially yeah. with, uh, under quarantine. I, I he's one of those people that um, 
that really this sounds like it's insulting and i really don't mean it to be oh god uh, because snook is also a very good player mm-hmm. so i, I want to start there and make very sure very good, good actually but yeah snook also snook also just loves magic yeah like he has just an incredible passion for the game uh and w- when i think about those people the person at the top of the list was always kevin jones who would just like play iqs even after he's queued for the players championship drive 12 hours by himself yeah you know maybe not drive hours to play them because he lived in an area where they were local but like he would you know play all of them he just loved playing magic uh snook is one of those people lee mcclaude or mcclaude i don't know how to pronounce his last name i think there's a u so i think it's like i think i don't think there's a u though i'm pretty sure there's no u you're probably right and it's not mcleod but it's i'm not sure but lee also just really loves magic there is no u you're right and has as someone who is, you know, magic's been my job for like six years. So at various times, I have very much presented magic. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't say I love magic. I really enjoy it. And, uh, you know, I want to continue doing it. So there's no issue there. But I don't have that same passion I have when I was 15. And I was playing, you know, on kitchen tables and... Uh, you know, on the floor of the band room when we were on break in high school band and, and all that. Like, I, I don't have that. And there Same. are people that, even though they've played competitive tournaments for like a decade, still have that. And I think it's wonderful that they do. And those three people are, are in that group. It's kind of incredible that like, you know, years of just like getting ground down by yeah. the system and beaten down through the, the ruthlessness of playing competitive magic where like, you're always losing. You're always trying to figure, you know, stay ahead of the metagame. It's so difficult. Everybody's so good. And it like they through it all, they have maintained this like core passion. It, it's honestly unbelievable that anybody could do that. And yet people do it. Quick side note. Lee is one of my absolute favorite follows on Twitter. He is hilarious. Really, really good one. I agree. Uh, if you're not following Lee on Twitter right now, you, you should do that. His little blurbs, like the little stories. I, I laugh out loud at like every one of them. <laughs> the, the 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 old one where he's like. So anyway, I let on like uh I let on. God, I just ruined this. What's the the egg that you can sacrifice to make two mana or whatever of any uh, color? Golden egg? Or you're talking about terraria? Yeah, he's like. So I let on terraria. It was like it's like a team event, and his opponents, you know, they're like, "Hey, what's he playing? What's he playing?" They go to Lee, and he's like, "What's he playing?" And he's like, "He always plays some weirdo artifact combo deck that's not actually good." And he that goes, was literally me. Yeah, I was the person. Yeah, who said exactly. That. And he's like, he's like, he's like, I resent that. So anyway, I let on terraria or something, you know, just something, like, <laughs> yeah. something like that. And I just like, I just remember losing it when I read this because like it's so buried in the story. I don't know his his comedic deliveries of just gets me right. So I, I love his stuff. Yeah, so. no, the very good pacing uh, of the stories. He knows when to bury the lead and like when to reveal it. That they're really good. He's a, he's a very good Twitter follow. I, I completely agree. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we've talked about a lot of non-magic stuff today, which is kind of weird. I mean, we don't ever do that, but yeah, I kind of thought like we had such easy material here. You know, it's a deck I know. It did really well over the weekend. I did really well with it, and instead, I have just started drinking and bringing us on a million different tangents. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm gonna blame you drinking so much today and so early that uh, you kind of derailed the show. So, but I also think this show is great. You I think love every this show is right great. But it's, I want to listen back to the show. And I have never done that with any one of our shows ever. I listened to the first like ten, like five or ten minutes of one of the last episodes because you were having audio problems for like a week or two, and I wanted to make sure that it was like it sounded okay. Uh, and I'm and I'm also getting finally to the point where I don't absolutely loathe the sound of my own voice. Like I usually just like, cannot hear myself speak, but it's getting better. 
It's a weird thing, right? Because you always hear your voice differently than other people do because of the way, you know, your mouth is situated to your ears and all the resonant frequencies. Like, uh, it really is, it's strange. Like, I, I actually watched over all of the uh, stream because I streamed this entire event, which is also another super fun Did you thing. play music? Mm, yeah. For the whole thing? Yeah. All right, the audio is going to be gone, but anyway. Uh, there are sections of it that they said are muted, but I still get to hear everything. So I, I wonder if they just don't mute it for you. I'm not the, Yeah, like, I'm not sure. Uh, and it's muted for everyone else. But, you know, I don't give a fuck. So I watched over to you know, look at the matches, and I found some different lines I could have taken, especially in the match I lost against Esper. But mainly I just watched over it because I'm a narcissist, and I just like watching me winning magic. Because most of the time when I'm watching clips of me, I'm losing, because those are the only clips that ever circulate. So I've got to counteract that to some degree. Uh, so, you know, I sat back, I watched the matches that I won, found some different lines I could have taken, some different ways I could have built my deck to win the matches that I played. Um, so I'm excited to see how things develop, uh, and, you know, to adapt the deck further, because it definitely, even though it's a deck that, like, has this core engine that you can't really mess with, you know, you gotta play your four Stitcher Suppliers, your four Seder Wayfinders, you gotta play your four fucking Cartel Aristocrats, stop playing three. How the fuck are people trying to play three of this card? It makes no sense to me. Just none. You just, like I literally I won game one against Michael Bondi because he just didn't find a Cartellers trap. Just couldn't sacrifice his creatures. Just couldn't find one. No idea. I just don't. I I I don't get not playing for that card. It's like I get that like the second copy isn't very good, but the first copy is so important that I just play four. Um. So. I don't know what exactly I was talking about. I, um, I don't either, honestly. I kind of. I was trying out. to transition away from the nonsense, but honestly, I just I don't I don't want to. The nonsense is why I like doing the podcast. So let's just keep talking about nonsense for another three minutes. We're already at two hours. We can well, probably close right now. I was gonna say yeah. I was gonna I was gonna bring up the uh, we do have some questions for the cast this week, and like we mentioned on the show, perfect. It, let's yeah, do that thing. If you are a patron of the show, you get to ask us a mailbag question. And we will answer them live on air and read your name. So I'm going to start with uh, with you, Ross, here. This is from Isaac, Literal Spirit. I am convinced that companions would be less powerful and would not lead to homogeny in the format if they did not have hybrid mana in their mana cost. If Lurus was one black-white, it would only fit in decks that have Orzhov in their color identity, not in any other deck that had black or white and satisfy their requirements. I just feel like using hybrid mana increases the amount of possible decks for the companions by a lot. And that increase, uh, I'm sorry, and that increase is not canceled out by the deck building restrictions. What do you guys think? So, I agree with part of this, and I disagree with another part of it. I agree, and I think it's obvious that this is so, that the hybrid mana makes companions more powerful. You know, it makes the card itself more powerful. It fits into more archetypes, exactly what you said. I disagree that doing, you know, designing the companions that way leads to more or has led to more homogeneity in various metagames, whether it's Pioneer, Standard, Modern, Legacy, what have you. I actually think that doing it that way and allowing the companions to fit into more potential archetypes has led to less homogeneity. That is due in large part due to the power of the companion cards themselves namely Lurus and Yorian. These cards are very, very good. Quite obvious at this point. If you had a an environment 
where only Orzov decks could play Lurus. Do you think the Orzov decks where Lurus fit easily would just be way better than everything else? Yeah. Like, if if Lurus costs one black-white, nobody would play Lurus Burn in Pioneer. They would all play Orzov Auras. And we would have a metagame of all these Orzov Auras decks against Azorius, Yorian decks. Granted, all the Yorian decks in Pioneer are already Azorius, so, you know, in this specific example, it doesn't make a huge difference. But there would basically be one Lurus deck, and it would invalidate every other small creature deck because they have Lurus and the other ones don't. It's the fact that a ton of different decks get access to this powerful tool that actually leads to more uh, heterogeneity. Especially in, in modern, I know we're a pioneer cast, but in modern where you have Lurus along with Mishra's Bobble, you know, you could play Demir Control or Grixis Control or Four Color Control, uh, which is a non-white Four Color Control deck, with Lurus, where you use Lurus Bobble as your card advantage engine, along with a bunch of good disruption. You couldn't play those decks if the card cost one black-white. You know, maybe you could potentially splash it, but your mana base would get a lot worse, uh, you know, it would just be a, a whole shit show. So I think one of the, you know, in general, it's a problem if the companions themselves are too powerful. So with Lurus and Yorin, it, it, we're dealing with kind of exceptional cases because it's a new mechanic. Clearly they overshot. There's, you know, clear precedent for this happening before. They overshot with equipment with Skull Clamp. They overshot with vehicles with Smuggler's Copter. They overshot with Planeswalkers with Jason Light Sculptor. You know, they'll get it back into balance if Companion is something they want to do frequently in the future. Uh, but right now, when we're dealing with a couple that are clearly incredibly powerful and potentially format warping, having a hybrid mana where they can fit into a lot of different archetypes as a result is actually a good thing for format health. And right now, I think both Modern and Pioneer actually look quite good. I know there's been a lot of, you know... Um, uh, I'm not sure what word I'm looking for, but the, the reaction to the recent ban announcement. You know, Wildsea's next ban announcement is on the 18th, and it's only concerning Brawl, Legacy, and Vintage. So, essentially, we know Luris is gone in Legacy. Who the fuck cares what happens in Brawl and Vintage? They don't matter. Uh, but, you know, Luris is... He just pissed is... off, like, two people. Come on. Yeah. Sorry. Nobody gives a fuck. So... But they, that also tells us that they're not planning to touch Modern, Pioneer, and Standard. But honestly, like, Modern, I think, is the best it has ever been. It is, the games are super fun. There's a lot of different archetypes you can play. You can play Combo, Control, Aggro, Midrange, Tempo. You can literally play anything and succeed. There are certain decks I think are a little bit better than the rest, but the difference is pretty small. Modern is awesome. Pioneer is not as good as Modern right now. I'll be honest about that. But... It's actually quite good. It coalesced a couple weeks ago when we talked about it on the show then, but it's opened up since then. Abs and Rally is evidence of that. These different Yori and Fires decks are evidence of that. Uh, you know, the continued existence of Lotus Breach but not being as dominant is good. I want it to be there, but not as prevalent as it was two weeks ago. You know, we have Lurus Burn, we have Orza Auras, we have Lurus Heroic as it merged in the last week or two. You know, they're all Lurus decks, but they're very different kinds of aggro decks. You know, and they all have to play this one card. Is that that much of a cost? You know, honestly, Lurus doesn't even lead to, like, super repetitive game states outside of the combo with Bobble itself in Modern. And then in Standard, like, 
You know, Yorian might be a little too good right now, but we saw all the Yorian decks get into this mid-range arms race, and now we've seen Mono Red come up. There was the Mono Black Aggro deck too. We're starting to see that classic pattern in the development of the standard metagame where you start with the powerful shells of old, which was like Karuga, Jeskai Fires, right? And then, and you know, some aggro decks that take advantage of untuned archetypes. And then you start to see some of the powerful shells with the new synergies coalesce. And that ended with the Luka Fires deck last weekend. And then you start to see decks react to that. There was, you know, PV's Bant, you know, Flash deck, and other decks playing a lot of mana counter spells to counter fires and deal with these, you know, basically expensive sorcery haymaker decks. And when that mid-range arms race gets too extreme, aggro decks swoop in and they get underneath them because you, in order to win the arms race, you have to ignore aggro. You have to cut your anti-aggro cards to some extent, and that helps the aggro decks. So that progression happens a lot in standard. Maybe it's a little, a little more pronounced than it otherwise would have been um, due to the nature of companions, but we're seeing a pretty typical trend in standard. So I don't really see any issue in those three formats, and I'm pretty happy that they're not making any changes. And I think it would actually be worse if companions were multicolored cards instead of hybrid colored cards, because it would privilege a very small subset of the decks in the metagame that could then play them at the low enough opportunity cost, because they both met the condition of the deck building constraint and were in colors that could cast them reliably, which then, you know, gives these certain decks a huge advantage over the rest of the field, as opposed to a lot of other decks having this advantage, or a lot of total decks having the same advantage, and then you have a rising tide lifting all boats. So the only thing I have to say to, like, add to that, it's kind of like what you said, it's just, I think it's not, uh, what's the right way to put this? It's not a surprise that they made it hybrid mana because they want the cards to be good. They want the cards to be playable, but they don't want you to be locked into this one deck kind of thing, right? Like they want these played and like, this is not a mistake. Like they did this on purpose and yeah, you're right. They would not be as powerful overall. You wouldn't see them played as much. They would be more powerful in, in an individual spot. Like the decks yeah, they get to play them. There's a huge delta between yes. the decks that could play them and the decks that couldn't. And that delta is the problem. We want metagames where there's a small delta between a lot of different decks, right? So um, there was a uh, so there was another question on Twitter that I actually wanted to ask. Uh, it was not in the, in the thing. Um, the first places you are going to eat when sit-down restaurants open back up. Okay. So in Roanoke, I can tell you that Corey, Baumeister, and I are certainly going to go to Martin's, our favorite bar. We're going to go there on a Thursday. Taco Thursday. Don't tell me why Martin says Taco Thursday. We don't know. We don't care. The tacos are delicious. We're going to go there after uh, Versus Live and have some tacos, have a few gin and tonics, listen to a band because they have live music on Thursday nights, and that we're going to have a nice night. Maybe we'll go to karaoke afterwards at Fork in the Market, you know, which is like, that was our Thursday night. If we were going to do a fun Thursday... It was like, get out of Versus. Sometimes we would stop at Three Notched Brewing because on Thursdays they untap a new beer and they have the brewer come in from Charlottesville and drive to the tap room and talk about the beer and everybody gets a free, you know, like four ounce pour of it uh, and you get the nice taster and then we have one more beer after that at like six, that's at like six o'clock. So we'll get out of Versus at four, 4.30 if we've got to do some stuff after the show. 
We'll get down to the downtown pretty quick because Roanoke's a small town. We'll have a beer. We'll do the taster. We'll have another beer. We'll head over to Martin's. We'll have dinner, some nice tacos. Their breakfast taco is delicious. It's called cash browns, scrambled eggs, avocado. Oh, yeah. I always get those, and they have a nice veggie taco with, like, shaved Brussels sprouts and hummus and a bunch of other other vegetables. You know, just give me two and two. Four tacos. Have a nice big dinner because I'm drinking. Got to soak up that alcohol. And, uh, you know, have a drink or two there. Then 10 o'clock is when karaoke starts. You know, you head over. You do some karaoke. Have a couple more drinks. And if you're hungry at the end of the night, too, when karaoke closes at 1, we can go to Jack Brown's beer burger joint right around the, the corner from the karaoke bar. So a nice little bar hopping night is the thing that I'm looking forward to when things transition a little bit back to normal. As far as, like, out to a nice meal, um, I think I'm going to look forward to pizza night at Fortunato where we can dine in and get a half-price pizza. So normally, like, they do really nice pizzas. It's a fancy Italian place. And they're, like, personal pizzas. They're, they're good for two people to split. One person, if you're really hungry and, like, want it as an entree. Um, about that size. And they cost, you know, 14 to 18 bucks. But if you go on Wednesday and you dine in, you got a half, half off. So, you know, I'm getting, like, the normal, like, margarita pizza, which is the low end of that scale anyway. So it's, like, a $7, $8 pizza on Wednesdays and a nice drink maybe a glass of wine i know a lot of the bartenders there so i'm usually you know jabbering with them so for a nice meal that's what i'm looking forward to but the night out with you know Corey, chris cothran uh and, and some of our other friends in roanoke chris mccurry we, we got we got a fun group so that's what i'm looking forward to is the bar hop a night care a little karaoke a little food a little drinks um i have a specific one and I would hope it would be on a specific date. Um, so nothing here, because I, I, while there's things here that I really like in Baton Rouge, there's no restaurant I'm like, I have to have this. I, uh, I would go to Lotus of Siam in Las Vegas, Nevada, or Nevada, right? You get the crispy duck penang and some really good wine. And, you know, just with some friends, maybe, you know, my wife, maybe some friends, whatever. And it would be the second week of the NFL season. Second, mm-hmm. that's very specific. It is the fir- it is the first home game for the Las Vegas Raiders in their brand new stadium, and they are playing the New Orleans Saints. Ooh, so that's good timing. Yeah, Saturday night, real good meal. Wake up Sunday, watch the game, go to the game, and the uh, airport is literally like across the street, pretty much. Oh yeah, the airport's real close to the stadium. Yeah, and I just be like, all right, base, I'm out. <laughs> Get home, go to work Monday yeah, morning. Fly home Sunday night. Yeah, yeah. yeah go home Monday morning. You know. Good weekend. Um, yep. Uh, I was going to say, have you, yeah, you have been to the new uh, Lotus Siam, right? We went when we were in Vegas. Yeah. The new I ones were really nice. One, yeah. yeah. So, uh, food is still great. That is my, probably one of my favorite, if not my favorite meal in the entire world. So, when I was there with you last time, yeah, I was vegetarian. I can't remember what I had the last time we were there. I know I liked it. Yeah. You, you also was. tried my dish without the duck. Like you tried the, yeah, the, the curry sauce, even though it probably had like, you know, stock in it. I, I, for those out there, like, I'm not super strict about my vegetarianism. You know, if I, you know, happen to have a bite or two of food that isn't strictly vegetarian. It's not an it's not allergy or anything. Tizzy. Yeah. yeah. It's a, yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it's not a super philosophical thing with me. 
So yeah, if you think you're eating, I got a taste of the really good Penang curry, which I'd had before. I'd had it with the short ribs a few years earlier when I was still eating meat regularly. Uh, and that, that is, I mean, I've had Penang several times since then. I've had vegetarian Penang and, uh, that Penang is, there's just something. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Exactly. All right. Ross, if people wanted to hear more about you, read more about you, watch more about you, any of that stuff, or maybe get that, you know, sweet deck list a little before you win a, you win a a classic, I mean, sorry, a challenge with it next time. Uh, where would they go? Okay. Step one, the all encompassing Twitter, or as the kids call it these days, the website. You can follow me at at Ross Hunnitz, R-O-S-S-H-U-N-N-E-D-S. You know, I post when I'm live and I'm streaming and I post about Versus Live. And, you know, we recently did a Versus Live show where we took user submissions, but it's all via Twitter. So if you didn't follow us, you probably didn't know what was happening. Uh, so, you know, follow me there to be abreast of all of my comings and goings that are magic related. And I appreciate it. I also, you know, if you have specific questions about really anything, I do try to get back to people so you can ask me really anything on there. Then my articles, which, uh, this week's article is already up. I was back on my normal Tuesday, uh, slot instead of a deck guide on Epson rally, which is what last week, uh, last week, last week's article was about. Uh, I go in about the sort of overall strategy of the deck. So there's kind of three, the deck can play a control game, a combo game, and an aggro game. And I talk about how to and when to recognize that you need to play all of those types of games with the deck. So if you really want a nice big picture overview of the gameplay of Absent Rally, that's a great article for you. That is live right now on StarCityGames.com. Uh, versus live, which I co-host twice a week with Corey Baumeister. That's 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, Tuesdays and Thursdays. We're on the Star City Games Twitch account, which is the same place you go to to watch open coverage. Uh, you know, we play anything that we find relevant for tournaments coming up, including online tournaments now, and we have a good time with it. If you can catch us live, we take questions from the audience. If you can't catch us live, the uh, episodes do go on the Star City Games YouTube channel, Tuesday shows go up on Friday. Thursday shows go up the following Monday. This week, we are having a companion battle, Lurus versus Yorian. You know, as we have figured out, Tannen, Lurus and Yorian are just the two best companions. And it's pretty clear to anyone who watches versus live that I'm in the Lurus camp and Corey's in the Yorian camp. Yeah, Yorian so, is away his style. Yeah, exactly. And Lurus is my style. Just low curve, you know, versatile, but low curve. So... We did Modern uh, today. We're recording this Tuesday evening after the show. Thursday will be Pioneer. Uh, you know, so if that's your bag, you can come watch us on uh, twitch.tv slash starcitygames. And then lastly, um, am I missing anything? I did Versus Live. Oh, my stream. I knew I was missing one thing. Yeah. Uh, so I now stream, which is... I, I really find this comical because it's been like six years since my friend Kevin first urged me to start streaming. And, you know, it always sounded like a pretty good idea. And anytime somebody asked me, when are you going to start streaming, Ross? I just said soon. Yeah, it was like a, it was a meme at some point, yeah. Yeah, it literally was a meme. I bought a microphone at one point, which is the microphone I still use for streaming and for the show. I bought it literally a year before I took it out of the box. And I just tell, told people soon. I know that's a fact, by the way, because I remember you actually opening it on Discord, like watching you open it, because you're like, yeah, I bought this a year ago, and it, I could tell you had never taken it out of the box. 
Oh yeah. And uh, I, you know, I stream now. I've been having a great time with it. You can find me at twitch.tv slash Ross underscore Miriam. Just my name with an underscore in between. Um, I try to stream, you know, a few times during the week. Uh, usually not on days where Versus Live happens, but if you follow me on Twitter, you'll know exactly. And then I do tournaments on the weekend. So this week I'm planning to play the Modern Challenge on Saturday, which starts in the morning, I think 10 a.m. Eastern Time. And then the Lotus Box event on Sunday, which starts at noon Eastern Time. So you can find me playing a lot of Modern this week, but I definitely prioritize Modern and Pioneer. So those are the two formats I play primarily in my competitive life. I'm continuing that in my stream life. Uh, so if those are the formats you like, you know, I would appreciate a follow. I would absolutely love and appreciate you forever if you subscribed. Uh, as for me, uh, I'm on Twitter at the Tan and Grace. Talk about quite a range of stuff on there. Not a lot of sports lately because there's no sports, and I'm sad. But nope, no sports ever. Sports are gone now, Tan. Don't don't even don't even, <laughs> don't even joke. But anyway, uh, we might be we might be hearing what a baseball season is going to look like real soon. Like they're they're finalizing a lot of the stuff, so we'll we'll figure it out. I'm, I'm hoping there's going to be a baseball season here. It's going to look real weird. Oh yeah, it's gonna look like it's even weirder than like the strike year, the earthquake year. The thing we're hearing is uh, universal DH, uh, universal DH, bigger rosters, and you're only gonna play against like eight teams. You're gonna play against your division and then a couple other teams like in that area. So like if you're an East Coast team, like you only play East Coast teams. So like you don't have to fly across the country and make yeah, long stays. Travel. That makes that makes sense. Yeah, I don't really get the bigger roster thing. It's to help people help prevent people from getting hurt. Because the season's going to be very condensed. There's going to be a oh, short so amount. Any major injury is like a huge deal. Yeah, and and it'll help. Uh, it'll help uh, with like because they're not going to have time to do a full spring training again. And baseball actually needs its preseason, unlike a lot of the other sports. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of baseball is a lot of like really violent action in a very short time frame, and then it looks really lazy outside of that. But that violent action in a short time frame is actually what is most at risk for injury. Yeah. That and like you have to get your timing down, like. Oh yeah, for the quality too. Yeah, if they just if they just like you know got up one day and they're like, all right, let's start playing again. They started playing games. It would look real bad. <laughs> like, oh yeah. yeah. Pitchers be throwing it everywhere. Game. Hitters would be like, couldn't touch a ball. You know, blah blah blah. Anyway, it's a it's a very precision oriented game. Yeah, I also do some streaming, and I've been doing a little bit more of it lately since uh, the the COVID nineteen thing. I'm, I'm a little more of a variety streamer than you are, but when I do Magic, I'm a little more limited focus. It's, what I enjoy. Oh, yeah. you, you also do other games. Yeah, it's, I couldn't give a shit about other. Yeah, games. it's it's what I it's what I enjoy the most in Magic, especially right now. I think this set, if you took out like the card Zenith Flare and like maybe like one other card, Th that's what I've heard about this format. Is that, like outside of Zenith Flare, it's actually awesome. Well, if you take out Zenith Flare and you take out like Companion's cool, but like only so much. Yeah, everybody's kind of over. Yeah, it. this set is great. Like really, really good. Really, really fun. There's a lot of different decks to draft. You know what I mean? Like. You get to say, like, I only pair color. Like, I almost never get a deck where I'm like, oh, I've never drafted this deck before or whatever, you know, or this archetype before. You know, like, there's a certain ones. So it's a lot of fun. I like, you know, doing all of them. Uh, I'll be honest. I love limited, too. And I honestly think I'm a better uh, limited player than I am constructed player, you know, talent-wise. Yeah, same. And, uh, you know, over the years on the SCG Tour with, you know, we basically played no limited and all constructed, I've become a better constructed player. But... It would not take me long to pick back up constructed. I think my talents are better suited towards that end. You mean limited? Uh, it's just not you know toward, yeah towards limited. Sorry, uh, it's just you know that's not the way competitive magic is gone. Yeah, like I I've, I've said the same thing. It's it's funny. I think you've heard me say this. That like I'm just getting comfortable with like seventy five card decks 
Yeah, see, well, you mean 95. Yeah, I was say a 95-card decks. I'm still not comfortable with that. Yeah, you're just playing the 60s. Like, I did, I, did ca- I did some casting the other day, and it was fun, but I just, like, found myself forgetting about Companion. Like, you know, at times, I'm like, oh, yeah, they did have this Companion, too, so it's weird, but anyway. The first couple streams I did after Ikoria, yeah. there were just be games where I just forgot that the Companion existed in my side. My chat be like, yo, you can just, like, lure us here and, like, play something else. I'm like, oh, that sounds great. Yeah, why, <laughs> why didn't I do that? Yeah, kind of thing. So I'm still, yeah. like, I'm still now, now I literally, like, keep up the little window yeah. that Magic Online you has where now. the companions are, yeah. I just bring that up at the beginning of the game so it's just there in mm-hmm. front of me. I'm very interested to see how people uh, address this mechanically in real life when we ever, if we ever get back to it, like where they put their stuff. and. Yeah, I mean, the whole like, I don't know if they actually meet the you know requirement thing I think is nonsense because the risk of doing something like that is just absurd. Like, he, Because if you, drew, if you just drew the card, like, you can never... You would never get an advantage off of it. Yeah, you know, you couldn't reveal the companion and do something with the cards that break the 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 rule, uh, the constraint. Yeah, unless you wanted to like have them call over a judge and say like, "Well, my opponent had Luris as their companion," and then you know had this other card, and then you just be like, "No, I just cast Luris from my deck. I had no companion," and then you just lie to the judge like through your teeth and somehow have them believe you. Like, unless somebody was, if they were going to try to be that brazen about it and they succeeded, honestly, I'm okay with it. If you win that argument and you somehow get to keep playing the tournament, like, you, you've done enough. Just keep playing. Sure, sure. All right. And um, I, do, I do play some other games on there, too. Uh, I've been playing a little bit of, like, Warzone, some, like, Overwatch and fun stuff like that. I even, every now and then, streamed some poker. And that was actually fun. Uh, I had a, had a night the other night where my win rate was unbelievably unsustainable. Next time you you stream poker, message me so I can be in the chat. Okay, sure. I'm gonna drink a lot. Sure, that's that's fine. And uh, you, I'm gonna advise you on all. Of you your will plans. not be you will not be able to do it quick enough. I'm gonna be playing four tables. They're gonna be turbo tables, and like you will not be able to keep up. Um, what happens does not have any influence in sure. the suggestion of my okay, place. Okay, sure, sure. <laughs> I'm just gonna tell you to go all in every time. Yeah, sure, I'm gonna do that a lot actually. Yeah, so I'm just gonna type all in. And just hit it as often as the spam bots will uh, allow me to. I'm gonna make that one of my new uh, emotes, actually. And so, because yeah, you can use it, because you can use that's, it, that sounds great. Yeah, because you can also use it for magic, right? When you have to make this like all-in play, like kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. make an alpha strike. You know, did ever you know sacrifice all your shit to a ravager? I was actually, gonna, yeah, I was actually gonna tell you I need some help with my stream because I wanted to make uh, my sub badges. Have you done your sub badges yet? There are sub badges. Yeah, you could have a different icon in front of your name if you're a sub. Like you can do that just like an like an emote. They can, you can have something. Where do I? Where do I? Do I this? don't know because I was gonna get you to help me with it because I have the perfect idea for mine. Do you want to know my sub badges? You know, you have like a little something in front of your name if you're sub to the channel. Yeah, I just thought that was something that Twitch did. They do, but you can you can put a file you in. You can adjust it. Which I, makes I sense. have the perfect one for my stream. What is it? It's just uh the word the. So if you sub to my stream, you get the in front of your name. That's awesome. Yeah, I was like when I came up with this, I was like, this is actually perfect. I love this. I can't wait to do this. I've been talking about it for like a year, but I wasn't streaming. So I was Holy like, shit, that is really good. Yeah, and I just really, really want to do that. You could have like some math thing or something. I don't know. It's something that pertains to you. Maybe like you with your head in your hands or something, you know, like, the, you know, the hello, <laughs> That's already an emote. the hello darkness, my old friend kind of thing going on. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, for the bookkeeping. That one is awesome. Yeah. Thank you for the bookkeeping for the show. Um, the show does have a Twitter. It's at Cast Pioneer. We'd really appreciate a follow on there. Um, a lot of cool things go on, on the on, on the Twitter. Some jokes, some memes, but. Uh, we share a lot of stuff, a lot of cool uh, decks in Pioneer where people talk about, hey, look, I just 5-0'd this league. You know, you push a list. We'll give you a little retweet, you know, add us, you know, do stuff like that. Um, 
easiest place to find the new episodes of the show or any news about the show as well. Also on that Twitter, there are links for our Discord, which you heard us mention on this. Um, our Discord is popping, as I like to say. Lots of cool stuff in there. I'm a big, big fan of the food section. It is lit. It is lit, yeah, as, as yeah, the kids say. As in, come on, baby, light my fire Yeah, by the doors. As the kids say on the website, it is lit. And um, lots of cool stuff in there. Huge, ridiculous magic discussions going at all times. There's a There's a Patreon channel in there where you get exclusive access to me and Ross. You also get to ask questions in the mailbag, like I said. Also, in that Twitter, you can find a link to our Patreon. Uh, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash pioneercast. We appreciate all the support and help that we get in the show. We love each and every one of you. Y'all are the real MVP. Um, you're allowed to go into that specific channels and stuff on the Discord. We also have some swag for you guys and girls uh, to give out in the future. We're going to wait till stuff, uh, which Still might be pretty soon. Desk. It's right here. Yeah. Ross is literally holding up the token. We have a token right now, and we have some other stuff in the work. Uh, Brent, our wonderful editor, He's got some, uh, some something cool in the works, and if that works out, that one's going to be a real sweet, uh, real sweet. What's the right word? A sweetener for? I'm using the word sweet a lot. Uh, not prize. Saccharin. No, stop. <laughs> it's going to be a really cool thing for you Fructose? to get. Uh, words are hard, Ross. <laughs> All right. Fructose. Yeah. It's going to be something. Corn syrup. We've mentioned corn syrup multiple times in this show. <laughs> what's going on? More than I expected. Yes, exactly. But it'll be something cool for you to get uh, for showing your support. And it's us. It's one of our ways of saying thank you for support. Is it a cucumber? It's not a cucumber, Ross. It's not edible, as far as I know. Oh. In fact, don't eat anything we send you in the mail. I highly. <laughs> I cannot say that enough to Can not. Can we send a disclaimer with every token? <laughs> like, please disclaimer. don't eat yeah, this. Please this don't is not eat edible. Yeah, th- yeah th- that'll be our inside joke now. Please do not eat this. This is not edible, kind of thing. <laughs> I know we look like snacks, but do not eat this you know, kind of thing. So, uh, <laughs> This is not snack. Okay, yeah, not snack. Again, patreon.com slash pioneercast. We really appreciate any help that y'all can give our show. Someone's got to keep the lights on, if you know what I mean. So, uh, Sorry about today's rambling episode. We'll try to be a little more... Don't apologize. It was great. This is my favorite show ever. You're welcome for today's rambling episode, and uh, we'll see y'all next week.